This is Women's Australian Rules Football. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. Available on most podcast platforms and at WARFradio.com. Coming up on this week's episode, we've got our usual segments, including your AFLW Injury Debrief with Luana Williams, AFLW Fantasy Football with Jack Hooper. We take a look back at Round 7 of the AFLW and preview Round 8 with Nicole Graves and Lisa Goach-Kiwi-Roper. Plus, there's our focus on the State Leagues with Grace Bucken from the Casey Demons and the VFLW, Chrissy Steen, coach of North Adelaide in the SANFLW, Emma Gibson from Cooparoo in the QAFLW, Alice Smith, captain of the Claremont Tigers in the WAFL women's competition, and Ricky Nolan, coach of the Pike Queen Ants, who are taking on the Darwin Buffets this weekend in the NTFL Women's Premier League Grand Final. But first, the latest women's footy news. We begin by looking at the findings from the match review officer into AFLW Round 7. And the big news, Emma Swanson of the West Coast Eagles, her season is done. She was charged with engaging in rough conduct against Georgie Rankin of Geelong. What looked like a fairly innocent bump. She was told she could accept a two-match sanction with an early plea and she accepted, meaning that she will not play in Round 8 and Round 9. And with the Eagles unable to make the finals, that means Emma Swanson's year is done at AFLW level. Chelsea Randall, the Adelaide Crows, was charged with rough conduct against Lily. Mithen of Melbourne. She took the reprimand. And Grace Campbell of the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos was charged with rough conduct against Kirsty Lamb of the Western Bulldogs. And she accepted a reprimand with that early plea. To the NAB AFLW Rising Stars for Round 7, Gold Coast Ruck Lauren Bella and Melbourne midfielder Eliza McNamara. Overseas to the AFL New Zealand Women's Premiership. It's a three-game series, and in Game 2, the Magpies have defeated the Bulldogs 4-5-29 to 3-1-19. For the Magpies, goal scorers were Lizette Herman, who kicked three goals, and Sam Lightfoot with one. For the Bulldogs, singles to Farrell, Collins, and Mansell. Best on ground for the Magpies was Caitlin Olsen. Best on ground for the Bulldogs was Heather Feetham. To the USAFL and some news out of the USAFL Women's Association. They have elected their 2021 Women's Association Board. President will be Jess Taylor of the New York Magpies. Vice President Alexia Rocancio from the Nashville Ruse. Member at large Anna Thexton of the Denver Bulldogs. Secretary is Emma Patmore of the Houston Lone Stars, which operate under the Texas Heat banner at National Carnivals. Uh, the East Region Vice President is Lara Massa from the New York Magpies, Central Region Vice President Tara Silke from the Denver Bulldogs. Uh, West Region Vice President is uh, Laurie Quoka from the Sacramento Suns and Treasurer is Natalie Smith from the Nashville Kangaroos. And some further news out of the USAFL where one of their dormant clubs is becoming active again. That's the Kansas City Power Australian Football Club out of Kansas City, Missouri. So if you know anyone in that section of Uh, the United States, around Kansas and Missouri. Let them know that the Kansas City Power is active and you can find them on Twitter at KC Power Football. That Twitter address again, at KC Power Football. And that's your latest women's footy news. The Lowdown with Luana Williams. take a look back at the injuries from round seven of the AFL women's competition and that's why we have physiotherapist Lawana Williams this is the lowdown with Lawana Williams Lawana how are you 
I'm well, thank you, Peter. And quite excited to talk about a very few number of injuries that we had on the weekend. Yeah, certainly less than the, the weeks gone by that we've had. Now, some of the injuries we'll obviously touch on. Normally, a physiotherapist doesn't handle some. They do. So let's let's touch on first those that you normally uh, would not be involved with. Uh, first of all, from Rosie Dillon from uh, St Kilda, um, the report is she has a suspected fractured pharynx. Yeah, so this isn't something that the physio would be involved in, being that the pharynx is actually a part of the throat. So from an anatomical perspective, it sort of starts from around about behind the nose and then finishes sort of around middle, around mid-neck. So in terms of how the injury was sustained, I would I didn't watch the game, but I would imagine it came as a result of um, a blow or a hit to the neck, maybe from a high, potentially from a high tackle. In terms of ongoing rehab and recovery, there'll be a medical input, I'm sure, but also potentially a speech pathologist may also be involved as they tend to work with sort of the throat and the neck region. Also, we had a uh, head knock that was for Kirsten McLeod. And, of course, um, as we know with the head knock, uh, if there, there's got to be a concussion test and obviously if they do suspect that there is concussion symptoms, there is a procedure to follow. Yeah, so if this was deemed a concussion, then with the new rules that were introduced this year, a person's going to have to be out of play for a minimum of 12 days. So like, if it is a concussion, we'll be out next week. And also for the game in round nine coming up against Richmond, if my calculations are correct, that's actually going to be 13 days post-injury. So fingers crossed for her that she is actually going to be made passable test and is going to be fit and ready to play the Tigers in round nine. Now, let's talk a couple of injuries that a physiotherapist would would normally deal with. Unfortunately, they're both out of the Collingwood Football Club. Uh, we begin with Jordan Allen, uh, an ankle injury. Yeah. So, two, uh, like you mentioned, two injuries in that very uh, tight loss to the Lions on Sunday. We don't um, – I'm not entirely sure what type of injury she has and how long she is going to be out for. We did see a couple of ankle fractures last week, one with an associated syndesmosis injury. So in those cases, they both needed surgery and therefore they were season-ending injuries. However, that's not the case. Not, oh, sorry, not all ankle injuries actually are that serious. I think most people have probably had some form of ankle sprain at some point in their life. And that's um, as a result of damage to the lateral ligaments, or, which is the collective term for the ankle, the ligaments that sit on the outside of your ankle. So whenever you sort of, when you, your ankle goes into the rolling motion, you sort of roll over on your ankle. You can stretch, drain, maybe even put some damage to the fibres of those ligaments and as a result, you're causing some damage. So um, as with most injuries, there is a spectrum of how bad this one could be. It could be a case of physio this week, tape it up, good to go for next week, or it could also be at the other end of the spectrum of what we saw last week uh, where it might be a little bit more serious and there may need to be some surgery, which would um, rule Jordan out for the rest of the season. So for her case and the case of Collingwood, I really hope that it is on the uh, the minor end and that she is going to read to play. Um, she's not going to need much, if any, time off. The other injury for the Pies was for Lauren Butler, who's done her hamstring. Yes, a really common injury in the AFL, men's and women's competition. And I think spoken about a few times this season. I think there might have actually have been one last week as well. So again, not really sure how serious this injury is. And I think I've gone on about this a few times, about the degrading of the hamstring strain and um, where how long people might be out for depending on what grade that they have. With only two weeks left in the season, I think it's probably fair to say that she was spending quite a lot of time in the physio and trying to get the hamstring sorted and hoping that she will be able to play, if 
not this season, but at least in the postseason, because it does look like Collingwood is probably going to make the finals this year. Well, Luana, thanks for going through round seven injuries from the AFLW. As we said, it's a little bit less than what we've had the past few weeks, which almost turned into a hospital ward. So there is some, uh, I guess, good news coming out of this round. And we look forward to chatting to you next week with The Lowdown with Luana Williams. Thank you very much. I'll chat to you next week. She plays AFLW Fantasy Football Podcast. Round 7 has passed in the AFLW. We're down to the serious end of business when it comes to fantasy football at sheplays.com.au. And to talk us through who's doing well when it comes to the points for the individual players that you've got in your side, we've got on the line from Supercoach Talk and sheplays.com.au in Jack Hooper. Jack, how are you? I'm very well, Peter. How are you? I'm feeling good. Uh, Kiara Bowers uh, hitting some uh, home runs for me there when it comes to the fantasy points. Let's take an opportunity to take a look at uh, round seven and, and who did well. I want to pull out one name first, though. The Richmond Tigers, of course, we knew struggled last year in that uh, season they got cut short. They didn't win a game. They finally got their second win ever and in this season when they beat the Gold Coast. Katie Brennan's been one of those players. People have been waiting and waiting and waiting for her to have a dominant game on the AFLW stage. She finally did on Friday night. What did that mean for Supercoach points for Katie Brennan? Well, not Supercoach points quite, but 196 196, uh, fantasy points for her. So very good game for Katie Brennan. Yes, it's almost like super coaches become part of the vernacular. Fantasy points, we must remind ourselves that. 196, that's fantastic to see. What was the points breakdown that helped make up that 196? Uh, it was fairly even across three of the four categories. Uh, she won a fair bit of contested ball. Um, so we've got 58 points from there, another 59 points from ball movement. Um, then 76 points for scoreboard impact. Um, and so that's that's the main three she's got points from. She only got 12 points for pressure and defense. But when, hey, when you're pushing 200 points, who can complain? And just lost the three points through, sorry, just lost the nine points from three clangers. So overall, a very, very good performance. Okay, let's take a look. Who was the best performing player out of the AFLW in terms of fantasy points for round seven? That would be North Melbourne's Jasmine Garner on 271. <laughs> That is extraordinary, particularly those that might have selected her as captain. And I guess the mm. secret behind it was the points that she got from contested ball. Yeah, 131 points from contested ball, which is, you know, that's more than what most play, even most of the best players are scoring for the round for their whole score. And she got 131 points just from contested ball, which is amazing. The only player to hit triple digits this round. Extraordinary. And that means she got the better of Kiara Bowers. A lot of people have got Kiara Bowers in their side. I'm one of them that have rode with Kiara Bowers all year as my captain. How did she fare? Pretty standard, 257 points. (laughs) I just love how you say standard. Just standard. (laughs) Well, I guess... That's probably what makes her such a great fantasy captain for your side. Is she's just so consistent. And I think, as I said, I think I said a few weeks ago that probably a lot of that is from having the way she plays. Probably about 150 points built in from contest, winning so much contested ball and laying so many tackles. They're so getting huge numbers in the pressure stakes too. That probably gives her 150 points each week, and then anything she does on top of that's a bonus. And so I think that's 
I've said it before, but I think that's probably why she's such a consistent um, fantasy scorer. Is it fair to say this round has been the round of surprise packets, despite obviously the big points racked up by Ghana and Bowers that we're expecting? We talked about Katie Brennan finally having that standout game with 196. Brianne Moody of Carlton scored 202 points. Amy McDonald of Geelong scored 184 points. It seemed to be any team, and I could barely imagine most teams having these players in their side, all of a sudden hit gold this week. Well, I do have Brian Moody in my side, so I might do well out of that. But um, I, I, I think I just started her preseason and hadn't moved her on yet. But hey, that's that paid off. <laughs> <laughs> it took seven but, rounds. Yeah. It took seven rounds, but you got there. Yeah, I've had a few, bit of, bit of, a few decent games, but um, I hadn't been, something hadn't been going anywhere near poorly enough for me to move her on to someone better. Um, but I think there were probably thus far they had probably been better options in the rock if you're picking a side from scratch. But hey, she's repaid the faith with 202 points for me, so I'm not about to complain. <laughs> Although there was a weird... I'm not sure if this is counted as one of her five clangers for the match or not, but there was this very weird thing that it was like a kick a banana across the opposition team's goals that went through. It was a very strange play. I, was, I happened to be at the ground at the time, and it was... She, did, she stood out a bit in the ground, a bit in the game, so it's not... I thought... 202 points did surprise me, um, but she did stick out a fair bit in the game. So I wasn't surprised to see her get a high score. But then it, it's a bit, um, it's a bit strange seeing that she's the top scorer for the Blues, and then remembering that very, very strange moment. So it's, it's just an interesting. I don't know. It's a little, maybe a little jarring, just in my, just in my memory. But um, yeah, great game from her on the weekend overall. Let's take a look to the NAB AFLW Rising Star nominees for this week and how they went. Uh, first of all, we begin with Gold Coast ruck Lauren Bella. How did she go in the way of fantasy points? Just the 30 points, actually, which is pretty unusual. Normally, they give out... Um, normally, they would give out a Rising Star nod after a big game. But look, she's had some good games um, recently. If I just look at her... I've got her stats here as uh, recorded 25 hitouts, five disposals, two tackles, and one inside 50. Yeah, very quiet on the weekend, but last two weeks had gone 103 and 105. So a couple of good weeks in a row. Maybe they felt like they owed her a nomination after not giving her one in those two weeks, but certainly 30 points is lower than you would normally expect, a lot lower than you would normally expect from. The yeah. game that got you your rising star nod, yeah, totally. The other rising star nominee was uh, Melbourne midfielder Eliza McNamara. Yeah, well, she had a more, somewhat more rising star worthy game of 80 points. Uh, good, solid all-round performance, not a lot of scoreboard impact. Um, held down by six clangers, so she lost 18 points there. Um, would have been 98 points without those. Um, but yeah, had... Won a, won a bit of the ball, used it well enough, um, put some pressure on. So overall, solid game for Eliza McNamara. Okie dokie. I actually had some information sent through to me uh, during the week, and this is after AFLW Round 6. And I'm interested to know uh, your thoughts on this. This would be the uh, AFLW All-Australian team, according to the sheplays.com.au Fantasy League point system. Let's see how this team goes. Uh, you would have in the team Ruby Slush of Collingwood, 
Aileen Gilroy of the Kangaroos, Stevie Lee Thompson out of the Adelaide Crows, Stacey Livingston out of Collingwood, Meg McDonald out of Geelong, Lauren Pierce from Melbourne, Brianna Davey from Collingwood, Kiara Bowers from Fremantle, uh, Jazz Garner from the Kangaroos. You'd have Ebony Marinoff from the Crows. You'd have Elise Parker from GWS, Gemma Houghton from the Dockers, Chelsea Randall from the Crows, uh, Sabrina Duffy uh, from Frio, um, Isabel Huntington from the Bulldogs, Erin Phillips from the Crows. Uh, on the bench, you would have had Harriet Cordner from the Tigers, Rhiannon Watt from uh, the Saints, uh, Anne Hatchard from the Crows, Chloe Malloy from Collingwood, and then you would have Tyler Hanks, I think was the next one, from uh, Melbourne. That would be your all-Australian team, according to the sheplays.com.au fantasy points after round six. Well, listening to some of those names, I guess if you're going to try and put together, if you had all the players in the competition available to you and you wanted to put together a couple of teams to play each other, I mean, good luck beating that team you just listed there, I think. Um, that's that's going to be a very, very good team if you put them all on the field at once, I think. Absolutely, and particularly uh, when you think about uh, Gilroy and Stevie Lee Thompson, uh, for example, you've got some speed coming off that uh, back line as well, and you've got the hard-hitting uh, Livingston uh, deep in defence, uh, and again with the midfield stack with the likes of Davey, Bowers, Garner, Marinoff, <laughs> that's enough to <laughs> that's enough to terrorise any side. So that- I mean, it, 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 it's, a, it's a stacked enough side that Matty Prestakis, if I heard correctly, can't get a game in. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's how it comes down to uh, the fantasy point system. Um, Jack, thanks again for joining us uh, this week. Now, as we record, um, the points haven't quite been updated yet uh, on the sheplays.com.au website, so we can't give you value for points for this week. So please be patient, folks. It'll be updated uh, hopefully within the next uh, 24 hours. Hopefully, uh, Jack, that will be a good round for you because, as you said, you've got Brianne Moody in there. Hopefully, she gave you a shot in the arm. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. Coming up next on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast, we'll be chatting with Nicole Graves and Lisa Coach Kiwi Roper as we look back at AFLW Round 7 and preview AFLW Round 8. Now, this goes for about an hour. If you want to skip ahead, please do so to the State League's wraps, or there's another way you can do it. Instead of having to download our full uh, two and to two-and-a-half-hour podcast, which sometimes it ends up as long as, uh, you can go to our website, wafradio.com, Click on podcast and scan down. You'll see all our little segments are broken up into their own mini podcast. The Lowdown with Lawana Williams, AFLW Fantasy Football with Jack Cooper, Coach versus Coach, and of course the VFL Women's Footy Report, the QAFL Women's Footy Report, and so on for each state league. So again, if you want to jump straight ahead to your local state league, go to WARFradio.com, click on podcast, and there you'll find this podcast broken down into mini podcasts. Two women's footy legends go head-to-head in Coach versus Coach. Round 7 of the AFLW has concluded. That means it's time to get on the line. Two legends of women's football in one corner. We have a woman who's played more than 250 games in AFL Sydney. She is the current assistant coach at Collingwood in the VFLW and the Sandringham Dragons in the NAB League. She is Lisa Coach Kiwi Roper. And in the other corner, the current coach of Coolangatta in the QAFLW competition. When they're allowed to play, it's great to have Nicole Graves. How are you both? Yeah, going well, Pete. 
going well. Good, thank you. Yeah, I might have played a couple of games too. You, geez, you blow wind up Kiwis, are. <laughs> I get nothing. Oh, uh, yeah, you know, just, 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 could probably... just a former coach of Australia, numerous premierships in the VWFL, <laughs> former president of the Darabin Falcons. Oh, by the way, you know, coach WA in the state, coached a few flags at Swan District. Okay, Anything enough. else I'm leaving in there? All right. The show yeah, no, does not go that now. long, Gracie. Yeah, no. Oh, shit. I was just like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been a tough season at Cooley, so I don't know if that's a highlight of the minute. But God, I, I'm loving coaching more than I did when we we're actually winning. So it's weird how coaches do that. But yep, no, we're we're winning at last, us coaches. Well, let's talk about winning for the Richmond Tigers. On the Friday night, they managed to beat the Gold Coast Suns 6-5-41 to 4-2-26. Coach Kiwi went for the Tigers by 16 points, almost got it right on the head. Grazie went for Gold Coast, going for the local team by six points. I'll start with you, Coach Kiwi. Finally, we get to see at AFLW level the Katie Brennan that we used to see playing in state league football, dominating. Yeah, and, you know, I think Katie is playing in front of um, some family up there too, so probably a bit more special for her. But, you know, this is exactly what everyone wants to see, and I think we've been waiting for it for a few years, and she showed glimpses of it in the last couple of rounds. But, you know, it's just she's an outstanding half-forward, and, um, you know, when she's set free in that forward line, she's um, just phenomenal, and I wouldn't want to be any defender who'd have to mark up on her, but... Um, you know, Richmond had a really good game. They um, they kicked in every quarter. They kicked a goal, which um, just keep ticking the scoreboard over for them. And they let Suns come back and get a couple late in the game. Um, and it was good for the Suns to have uh, Britt Perry back in the lineup too. I think she bolstered the ranks after losing the likes of Jamie Stanton and um, Sarah Perkins. But um, the um, the Gold Coast Ruck, is it? Is it Paris? No, that's the West Coast Eagles Ruck, but close. Um, Lauren Gold Bella. Coast Ruck. Lauren Bell, yes. Boy, isn't she a bit of a gun? I really like watching her. I think she goes about her game really well, and I think she's really solid in the Ruck there and um, provides a lot of opportunity. But, um, you know, I think I think what the Suns did is they, they still kicked four goals, um, so they still, you know, provided opportunity and I don't think, it, you know, it wasn't all one-sided for Richmond and, um, you know, I, uh, the challenge for the Suns is going to be getting a go- a win at some point for the season because um, currently I don't think the latter is kind of reflecting how they've been playing their game. But, um, but yeah, I really like watching Lauren Bella play and um, probably less than known compared to some of the other rucks in the competition. Um, but, yeah, they, I thought they gave uh, Richmond a really good good go at it and it was good to see Laura McClellan um, as a former Eastern Rangers junior go and um, get her first game at this level and I thought she had a pretty good hit out as well. So, yeah, but yes, I took Richmond. So, Gracie, the Suns had a crack. <laughs> they, tried to, they tried to pull it back late. Um, they couldn't – the margin was too great for them to try and uh, climb back to try and get anywhere near level with the Richmond, like they did, mind you, last year when they came from behind and knocked off the Tigers. For the Gold Coast Suns, how do you rate that match, considering the number of injuries also they've been carrying through this year? Yeah, it's a tough one. I can, I can be really nice, and I've been really nice, I think, probably the whole season with the Suns and, and – you know, 
intrinsically knowing players and, and uh, you know, a little bit more about the girls up here now that I'm, that I'm coaching up here, you know, it was, it was yeah, they, they would be disappointed ultimately. It's a winnable game and, you know, and they've been under the pump with the travel and, and all the things that we, that, you know, people have talked about to, you know, try to keep them up and about and keep really positive. But at the end of the day, you know, Tigers midfield, all Tigers midfield, including almost their rotations, were all 20-plus disposals. The Suns had one midfielder and, you know, Dreno just holding it all together with 21 possessions. You know, Spud um, Sermon wasn't far behind with 18, but it just shows you know, early in the season, and I was discussing this with the girls, and we've talked about it over the season, they were losing footy games, but they were winning clearances, both at the stoppage and at the centre bounce. And the last few games, they haven't been winning that. So there's, you know, there's some issues around that. So, you know, when your engine room isn't firing, you don't give yourself the use of the footy. So, it, you know, it's really tough. And, I, you know, sons of seems to have lost a bit of that team connection. And I know they've got some players out with injuries, but they're also some of the players that are out with injuries um, weren't the players that were there and that were firing and doing all those amazing things that, that I guess the footy public and the footy people um, really liked about the Suns in year one. So there's some things to look out there and they need to really make the most of their last two games. What have they got? They've got uh, the Blues, I think, and then Geelong, would I say? Yes, they got the Blues on Friday night and then Geelong in essentially the wooden spoon battle in round nine. (laughs) Yeah, nice. So, I mean, they really have to get something out of this. And and I think, you know, there's some work to go on. It's not just on-field. It's some off-field stuff that they probably, you know, have to look at. But, you know, taking nothing away... From the Tigers, they were fantastic. They get their second win. You know, and we, we've certainly talked about the last few weeks how they've really gained some momentum and against really quality oppo, really. So, you know, KB, completely three goals. It is the KB we've known to love and, and um, you know, over the years through, yeah, VFL, um, or was it VWFL, I should say, and then VFLW. Um, but certainly, and I know she was keen to play midfield and she still spots out in the midfield here and there, but ultimately, you know, with, when you're with a young team as a leader, you need to play the position you're good at that's going to give them, you know, give them the best shot to be successful. And, and I think, you know, um, Kate, you know, Katie's really realized that in, in saying that, you know, I remember one moment of the game, watching the game and there was four Suns players behind us sort of, you know, as she's just leading out and taking it lace out, but not one of those swept in front of her. And there's some of the issues that we're talking about. They're really reactive, the Suns, this year, instead of really proactive like they were with their run and carry last year. So, you know, marks inside 50, Suns were negative nine. You know, you can't win games like that. Um, two little highlights, I suppose, or a couple of little highlights. Grove's little, little rundown on Conti, you know, that just shows that, you know, players that have been a bit underdone, you know, the last couple of seasons are really stepping up. So there's some positive signs still there from Suns. And I think, you know, we spoke about some of the goals and some of the kids getting their first goals. Maddie Levi, those two goals, I was, you know, beaming smile, so excited. So I thought that was a bit of a highlight. You know, she got two goals and, and nine tackles. So it shows the, you know, the sheer endeavour that some of those young Suns players are, are playing with. But Tigers were, were excellent. They were really excellent. They they probably controlled the game. And yes, Sun's got a couple of you know goals late, 
um, to make the score probably a little bit more respectable. But I felt probably the whole game, the Tigers were they were just better organised, they were better structured, they they were more connected, and yeah, yeah, Suns have got some work to do, and I don't think anyone up here or anyone around the group would deny that. Um, and that sometimes can happen, you know, second year in, you're up and about in your first year, and second year in reality hits on how improved other teams can get and how quickly they can improve and and as we spoke we touched on last week it is more difficult for some of these teams to recruit they're not in that are not in victoria some of that really elite talent that probably sons need through their midfield so that's sat- me in a nutshell <laughs> to saturday football at rsea park uh, the gws giants 7345 defeated the saints 3725 so both the same amount of scoring shots the giants more accurate in very wet conditions coach Kerry went for the went for the giants by 6 points and was correct gravesy went for st kilda by 18 points gravesy is it safe to say this is the giants best win of the year out of their three wins Taking on a side where we felt should be even, maybe even perhaps a little ahead of them, and for them to come down to Victoria and beat them on their home deck, that's clearly got to be a a marquee win for them for this year. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, Pete? Um, It was, you know, I really expected the Saints to come out. You know, they've they've been a bit down the last couple of weeks, but they've played some really quality oppo as well. Um, And we, you know, Three seven to seven three. We talk about coach killers. You know, goal kicking has, has been a lot of those teams that you know that have, have been playing really good footy have that odd game or odd one or two games. I must say that um, that show that yeah, kicking accuracy and efficiency uh, by um, you know, effective disposal is so important. You know, GWS were you know were plus heaps in. In disposal, so they just got more of the footy. But would you believe it? Saints, you know, it wasn't, you know, it was a, what was it, a twenty-point win? Would you believe Saints had fifty-seven more tackles than GWS? So you know, they were still bringing the pressure, but they weren't. They weren't, um, I guess, you know, m- turning those tackles into into possessions and downfield connections. So it was really interesting and. The same sort of thing. It was, a t- you know, both teams were quite consistent, and, and the stats, apart from as I said, those, you know, those tackles and probably just, you know, just overall disposals. But we talk about the young guns. Patrikos was the only player plus twenty in um, disposals for the Saints with twenty-seven, but Elise Parker was plus twenty-eight, so she was one of the very few. So in in the GWS team that that had those sorts of disposals. So you see these two young stars, um, both, they were both drafted in the same year and the impact they can have, but you can see the two young stars carrying teams that, that have, you know, quite consistent, you know, uh, and starring type players. So it's, it's really interesting. The conditions, horrendous. Absolutely. Maybe it's just not, Sydney, maybe it's GWS because they carried that stuff down to RACA Park on the weekend. <laughs> um, massive highlight. <laughs> I was just like, I wrote in my notes just little sad face. You know, it was just little face with a little sad, you know, upside down smile in it. Beck Privatelli, can, her contested March. She was excellent. Yep, dropped last week and she's gone, yep, up yours. Um, coaching staff, have a look at this. So her contested marking. 
with, you know, with Smitty's effective and just their decision-making and skills and then, you know, Corey Thornton. I mean, it was like Ireland out there on the weekend. So those three were just outstanding. They were different in the game, really, um, because it didn't matter how nearly 60 more tackles. You'd think, well, they get more used to the footy, but no. The wet day specialists, um, those three forwards were the difference. And interesting, Ty, um, Saints, who we were so excited by early, have not really, you know, the last three rounds have been you know, pretty average. So I don't know whether that's tired, our young players tired, big season, or maybe the COVID break with the young players not getting to play more VFL footy. I'm not sure what's going on there, but yeah, it'd be a bit baffling. And maybe, obviously, the inner sanctum down there would know more than us sitting out here watching the games. But yeah, it's interesting. I don't, yeah, Saints would be disappointed. And GWS would be pumped. And Coach Kiwi, Kiwi. Coach Kiwi, I think I saw somewhere on Instagram that uh, the rain pouring down, Cora Staunton running through it, and a caption underneath saying, you call this wet weather? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think Michael Crane, her um, Irish coach, even said that um, Cora just looked like she was at home. That was just normal weather to her. It wasn't anything different. Um, but, yeah, as Gravy touched on, um, those shots at goal really probably hurt St Kilda and in because they ended up with 25 inside 50s compared to Giants' 23 inside 50s. And I think the difference was that first quarter, um, you know, they the Giants did have the tailwind and they made the best use of the football before it got too wet because um, it just rained constantly that game and even came sideways for a portion of it. So I think, you know, um, those four goals they got in the first quarter really set them up for the rest of the game. And um, and again, in the third quarter when they had the win, they, you know, banged in a couple more. Um, and then I guess the real heartbreaker is is against that kind of win, you get a player like Cora who runs and who kicks it through against such horrendous um, weather, but um, just make it look easy. But... Um, but yeah, Cora, three goals, Privatelli, three goals, just outstanding. And um, Catherine Smith, who's normally a defender, getting up there and getting a goal is, is pretty outstanding. And, um, you know, and, and that's what you want, I guess, is you want, you want your team to be able to adapt to conditions. And um, for the Giants, if, if ever there's a team that's resilient, I think it's the Giants this season that, you know, from when they packed their bags and spent so long in Albury and, and then a week in Adelaide and then back and um, Friday night, from all reports, they sat on the tarmac for three hours waiting for a thunderstorm to pass Sydney before they could fly to Melbourne. So, um, you know, here's, here's a team that, you know, just keeps getting hurdles put in front of them and they keep coming out and, um, you know, performing really, really well on the field and it's um, it was pretty awesome to see. And, you know, with forwards like that who are getting 10, 11 disposals and, um, you know, a young midfielder like Parker who probably could have been marked a little bit better in the game, um, but, yeah, no tag on her. Um, Kat Phillips, I thought, did a really good job through the back line with her speed, but, um, but aside from that, yeah, I think... Um, St Kilda just looked a little bit disorganised across, um, and especially through the through the wet conditions, um, they just couldn't adjust. But um, definitely some some good um, stuff to see the youngsters from Sydney. You know, um, Libby Graham and um, Evans and Garnett, um, pretty solid through the back line, and I'm certain that. 
Pepper Randall just really provided them some guidance now and getting them to sort of do the, the hard work and um, she just organises them all from, from the next level behind. So, um, yeah, they're looking they're looking better and better and, um, you know, it's um, they've got a couple of tough games to finish off the season but um, they've probably put themselves in a better position now to finish on a high, I think. We go to North Hobart Oval where the Kangaroos 5-7-37 defeated the Western Bulldogs 3-8-26. Coach Kiwi got it right, tipping North Melbourne. You tipped North to win by nine points. Grazie went for the Doggies by four points. Uh, it really was a case of the Kangaroos kicked the first three goals of the game to get the early jump and then it was pretty much a grind for the rest of the game. And I guess, Coach Kiwi, it's an interesting proposition coming out of this game. With Even though the Bulldogs lost, would they be kind of happy with their performance and that loss that they virtually, by the first quarter, stayed with the ruse all the way. And for the Kangaroos, could it be seen as a win but not a satisfying win, knowing that they could not run away from the dogs? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think they'll be absolutely happy how they started the game. And, you know, here's a really um, contrast, really. It had sunny conditions and a beautiful big field to use. Um but I think I think that midfield that uh, North have fired and fired at the right time. There's been a few other games where um, we've probably looked at them and gone, "What were they doing?" You know, they just weren't involved at all or weren't winning enough footy through the middle there. And um, Emma King, I think, you know, she just dominated those headouts and um, and um, Garner just piled on the possessions. I'm just checking what she finished with. Uh, 28. She had 28 disposals in the end, which I think she's been reasonably quiet for a couple of, for half the season, as, you know, along with Carney and, um, and even Riddell probably stepped up a little bit. And she had 18 and Duffin, um, polled in with another 20. So I think that's where Bulldogs need to sort of address that is playing against some key midfielders like that. You can't let them clock up, clock up so many, um, disposals. And, and I think that's where they just started to burn them a little bit. And, um, you know, Kirsty Lamb was fairly solid and Blackburn um, really provided a little bit of defence through there and, you know, got their hands on the footy a few times. But, um, but yeah, I just think the way that the North team are playing collectively and their short hit-ups and, um, you know, good disposals, I think throughout the rest of the stats, they were really quite even. Um, it's just, you know, who's who's converting the better um, ball and on the goals? Well, converting on the scoreboard at the end of the day and um, you know and that's probably where Bulldogs um, the youngsters are just not getting enough um, ball use into their, their forward 50 and not making that count a little bit but yeah North are very solid and they've got a couple of tough games too so um, it's going to be a ripper into the season for them for sure. Absolutely. And Grace, you're just looking again at that Bulldogs loss. Uh, the two goals coming out of Huntington and a goal out of Too Good. Of course, they teamed up a few weeks ago where they kicked uh, uh, three goals each. It seems almost with the Bulldogs now with that Huntington Too Good combination, like they've got the building blocks there of what could be a good forward line. They just seem to be missing the surrounding pieces. Yeah, you're right. And Kiwi touched on the, on the data. And it was really interesting. Yet nothing much in the team stats. So both teams really had very similar stats right across the board. And, you know, me not being massively data, but, you know, you couldn't really see who was going to be up and about while you watch the game. So you sort of get, you sort of fall back to what the data says. And it's interesting, isn't it? So we talk about, you know, the, the sort of stars and the names 
of the two teams. So I, I went and had a bit of a look at what they were doing. So Carney, Garner, Duffin, Riddell and Gavalis had 120-odd possessions between them with with Garner, um, Carney, Duffin and Riddell all over 20-plus. And then we go to the Bulldogs and we go, right, Blackburn, Lamb, Newton, Too Good, Huntington, 70 disposals. So that's 50 disposals difference between the real engine rooms and elite players in the two groups with only Blackburn and Lamb getting at plus 20. So we, we, we've spoken about this over the last, you know, probably since the start of the season. There's not much between the team, but the dogs continue to rely on too few to do the work. And when, if, you, if they're going to make finals and they're going to be successful and really push finals teams, they just need more contributors. And they pipe in at different times, the Dogs players around that group. You know, Izzy has some really good games. And I'm not saying that, you know, Izzy Huntington is down on form or Too Good's down on form. Then perhaps isn't the supply. And it can't always be Blackburn and Lamb getting it to them. They need to do more. They have got some, you know, the last couple of years, they've, you know, they've really not been probably at the top of the ladder. So they've got some really good draft picks. So they need to make sure that those, you know, those young stars um, and those middle tier players are having more impact, you know, getting you know, getting fitter uh, and making sure that they're not just sitting on their laurels and going, well, that's I was good in the premiership year in you know, 2018 or whenever the hell it was. So, yeah, so it, it really is a, con- a concern, I think, for dogs if they're going to be successful and going to be coming up against these better teams that they need more contributors. So that was probably my, yeah, my big takeout for that game. There wasn't much in it in terms of score even. Yep, you can say dogs kept up with them and we, you know, that's a highlight. But that they're continuing to to um, rely on too few and that's not going to happen in finals when you're playing, you know, the Adelaide's and the Collingwood's and the Frio's and, and you know, the North Melbourne's and even the Melbourne's, you know, now – there's so many contributors, so many different avenues to goal. And I think dogs are just a bit one-dimensional at the moment. So, yeah, they play, yeah, they play really good footy and, and no issue around that. But I just I worry if they are to make that top six, how effective it's going to be against those, you know, those teams that have you know, just got so many contributors and so many avenues to goal. We go to Casey Field Saturday Night Football where Melbourne 6-7-43 defeated the Adelaide Crows 2-3-15. Grazy went for the D's by 12 points. Coach Kiwi went for the Crows by 6 points. Uh, Gravesy, it was always in the realm of possibility that Melbourne could get over the line against the Crows, particularly after their big win against the Saints. I don't think anyone quite imagined Melbourne doing virtually a five-goal job on the Crows. Yeah, I think we take uh, we look at the tape back and then just saying, boom, Kiwi. Um, <laughs> if, we, if we listen back to last week, I think I said uh, Casey Fields by 18 points. And guess what? It just delivers, doesn't it? We talk about GWS just bringing, just bringing the weather with them. You know, Casey Fields just delivers every week, week in, week out, you know. Consistency. The most consistent team in the, in the competition, AFLW, Casey Fields. Hundred percent. So yeah, listen. It was a it was a tough day. It was awful, um, awful weather. But again, the D's, the kicking efficiency. Wow, you know they, the D's really rattled the you know the Crows' defence by these quick surges and these and their, you know, relentless tackles inside forward fifty. 
you know, it was impressive. Uh, you know, I don't want to say it, but uh, take out Phillips and Crows might be a bit shaky. You know, it was a really, really impressive, um, you know, uh, shutdown of Aaron Phillips. And it wasn't just one person. I know they had different people on her at different times. And, yes, Maddie Gay, that amazing rundown of Aaron Phillips, and people are talking about that. But it was almost a team effort. They just nullified, the D's nullified Phillips by just giving her no space to perform. Do you know what I mean? Aaron has this way of just taking that backward step a little bit like Medi Press Park has been opening up the field to herself. And um, and they just nullified it. They just nailed her. Every time she got it, just someone nailed her. You know, on the and it was fantastic to watch and yeah, and good for Erin, you know, she's you know, she runs a muck, she is, you know, she's a star. But, you know, they really did just work hard and work hard to make sure as soon as she got the footage, she was just like bang. So they kept close to her, which was really impressive. Tyler Hanks, wow. Yep. Um, what we spoke about, I did mean to call out. Oh, we spoke about Lauren Beller in that first game. Lauren Beller obviously got the NAB uh, Rising Star nomination, which is awesome for Bella. So well done on that. Sorry, I forgot a couple of games ago. Um, Tyler Hanks, um, just starts. I know I knew I had to say something about Bella. So, yeah, so Tyler Hanks just relentless and she was so good. She uses the ball so well. And we've spoken about, you know, the comparison I make of, of Maddie Presparkis and Tyler Hanks and, you know, being the, the five foot two monsters that they are. You know, uh, the difference between them is, is Tyler Hanks is Maddie runs and works her footy on emotion and Tyler Hanks is very calm, is a really calm kid. And, and so you can see that in different situations of the game. So, yeah, Hanksy was just outstanding. Paxi, Daisy, they just use their elite skills and delivery yeah, Maddie Gay has said that relentless attack and that, you know, and she's having an excellent season. She looks super fit and got through some of those injuries she was carrying last year. In the ruck, I was just loving, like, Lauren Pierce as Zanka, like, two massively, you know, you've got a tall ruckman, you've got a tall midfielder, and it's like the little midgets around it don't even get their hands on the ball because Lauren Pierce just, like, you know, taps it, like, you know, half a centimetre. And then Zanka just half a centimetre off her hands and then do they take it out? So I love that. Lily Mithin, you know, she's so brave, Lily, Lily Mithin. She just gets smashed, gets up, gets smashed, gets up. You know, tackles that would have knocked someone out. Lily's just like shakes it off. And But this game was awesome. I lo- actually loved everything that these did. And, you know, these were just, you know, happy to hit up that short one, that short 100%er. Whereas Crows actually got rattled and they just got the ball and they just kicked it. It was like Crows of 2017, which, you know, I know they won the premiership, but footy's moved on from kick and hope. Um, so, yeah, it was interesting about that. But, um, yep, amazing. Loved Melbourne's game and I, I really hope they make finals because I think that the way they're moving with days, controlling that forward line, a bit like Juddy at 3-0, controlling that forward line, I really like what they're doing there. So, Kudos, Steve. Happy days. I was very pleased to get that tip. Well done. Coach Kiwi, for Melbourne, this was the first game of the Nightmare Trilogy. What are you giggling at, Kiwi? This is the Nightmare (laughs) Trilogy that they were facing. The Crows followed by Frio and the Lions. They've beaten the Crows comfortably. They've seemed to find this magic thing after a mid-season slump called belief. Yeah, well, you know, I think if you looked at their last three games, you would have thought they're going to really struggle to um, get another win. Um, but I think the way that they played on Saturday night, 
they really proved that they are a team to take serious. And as the game got on, they just found more and more ways to really dominate the Crows. And we all know Crows are a real sharp outfit. And um, none of their stars really got to fire. Uh, it really, it really just was a case of um, everyone in the demons stepping up and and you know putting on a show in pretty you know the, the conditions weren't the greatest out at Cranbourne. It um, you know it was a very it was very wet underfoot. But I guess the biggest stat of the day was probably um, inside fifties. Demons had forty for the game. Whereas Crows only had twenty two, and you know. I think that's probably the, their lowest ever. Um, you know, I'm guessing because they're a fairly handy team at going forward. But um, but then the rebound fifties, Crows had a lot more than these, and I think that just sort of shows some of that tackle pressure that um, was placed by the Demons as well when they got into the Crows. You know, into that forward line, they just created a lot more pressure around the contest and. Um, you know, and as Grazy touched on, you know, Zacha was outstanding. Um, and and same with Hanks. Hanks, she clocked up, you know, 24 disposals, but she had five tackles and a goal, which just shows the work rate. And I just, I think she wasn't alone. Um, you know, there was a point where even Sinead Goldrick, the, the sheer speed that she showed to get back down on defence and lay a tackle, even when there are a few goals up, just shows how determined they are as a team and willing to, you know, start start this job and then finish it all the way at the end. And um, and I think um, Mick Stenier said that this is the best win that he's had um, in the five years of the AFLW competition, but um, I tend to disagree with that. I think it was one a few years ago against Giants. But anyway, it was, um, it was a very important win for them. And, and I guess um, when you look at how strong that midfield is, then you go and think, well, they're playing probably one of the competition's best, you know, football reading or football minds of the game. Daisy Pierce in the forward line. So at any point, they can flick her back down the field as well to control things. And they didn't need to on Saturday night against a really classy outfit. So, yeah, well done to Demons. And, um, you know, and now I think the other two matches coming up should probably be shaking in their boots. Sunday at Icon Park. Carlton got the early jump, about three goals up, kept Frio at an arm's length until about a couple of minutes to go in the final quarter until the Dockers gave him the old heave-ho. 6-9-45 to 6-5-41. You both went for Frio. Gracie went for Frio by 12 points. Coach Kerry went for Frio by 21 points. Um, For Frio, they managed to use the get-out-of-jail card, Coach Kiwi, for Carlton, their finals aspirations are officially on life support. Yeah, wow. It was, um, you know, I think you look at Carlton, you go, they, they just can't put together four quality quarters. And, you know, they. I thought they were going to do to Frio what Demons had done to Crows. Um, and just, Frio just didn't look like Frio. They looked like, um, imposters, pretty much. They they weren't playing their style of football. They were playing a lot of panic football. They were just kicking the contest rather than their normal um, efficient and shorter hit-up options. Um, their ball going inside their forward 50 just was of really poor quality, really. Didn't set up their forwards uh, very much at all early in the game. And, you know, for 
all accounts, it actually looked over by the end of the third. Or, yeah, the end of the third quarter. Um, you would have thought that it was, you know, done and dusted. And um, you know, the flip of that was probably that third quarter. Carlton only kicked two goals, but they didn't provide a lot of pressure on the scoreboard when they probably really should have taken it to free to Frio um, during that quarter. And and you know, and instead, what Frio were doing was they were continued taking it down. They weren't getting great shots at goal, but they were still ticking over the points. And in the end, it was the points that um, that won the game. I think they won by four points in the end. Um, but, you know, some really solid contributors throughout. And, um, you know, Bow was getting on the scoreboard was pretty impressive. And, um, yeah, I don't, you know, you kind of think, how can you kick... Or come from behind, and, and was it three goals in three minutes or something? It was, um, you know, pretty outstanding. I was sitting with some Carlton fans, and they just weren't impressed at all. It's, um, you know, and you know, I don't think anyone would be if your team, you know, was up by a few goals and then lost in the last few minutes like that is um, pretty hard to take any day of the week. But um, you know, Harrington was good and solid down the back for. Um, for Carlton, but yeah, Belle is just, you know, she just continues to run that midfield and, um, you know, make the, she had 10 tackles and 28 disposals. It's just huge, um, you know, gaining, gaining the football through there. And, and I think that just continues to apply that pressure. And, um, you know, despite when things are going against Frio, she just kept toiling away, toiling away, toiling away. And in the end, um, you know, was probably enough to help the team start to get their role on and um, and get going. So yeah, it was good to see Duffy get on the scoreboard in the end. But um, yeah, it's um, it it was you couldn't say really game of two halves. I think it was probably three quarters and one quarter the other way. It was just um, yeah, it was a bit interesting. Graves, is it fair to say that the great sides, even when they're playing bad, know how to find a way to win? Yeah, I think it, I think you're, you've hit the nail on the head there, Pete. You know, um, Carlton's tackle pressure in that first quarter really set them up for you know the next couple of quarters. You know, they were dominant the tackle pressure, and and Kiwi's right. You know, you saw mistakes made by Freya that they just don't make. They rushed, they panicked, um, but they also then pulled it all together, um, and that is you know the sign of a good team. I thought. Yeah, so Carlton's tackle pressure, amazing. They just really worked hard. That probably gave, you know, free over yips. You know, they're yeah, usually the ones bringing the, bringing the pressure and the tackle pressure and the forward 50 pressure. You know, Nick Stevens, wow. You know, a couple of years ago, I would have said, and no doubt, you know, I can admit this, I would have said Nick Stevens was done, but she has just been a shining light in the cold in the Carlton forward line this season. And she makes good decisions. She gets up the field. She supports her teammates. So, you know, so, you know, Nick Stevens has just kind of reinvented herself this year. And I'm really pleased for her. She's a quality human. You know, Georgia G and Maddie Pete, um, you know, and Darcy Vessio. So we're talking about Nick Stevens, Georgia G, who I still think just moves through traffic like she's a little, you know, she's on a little magic carpet. Yeah, Maddie Press Parkers, you know, her and her and Turbo had a great tussle for probably three quarters, and then Turbo just did what Turbo did, does, you know, and and when the pressure gets on, and that's where emotion can sometimes get to the younger players. 
they can start to worry and panic where, you know, Turbo's in her late 20s, you know, and, yeah, established, you know, um, senior footballer in that team. And so she just went about her business. Uh, as Kiwi said, she just she just goes about her business. Nothing phases Turbo much. Um, so, yeah, that was good. But, you know, apart from those four, I'm sorry, mate, but the rest of them just butcher the footy. They just butcher the ball. And, you know, there's no there's no excuse. Carlton, you know, Carlton are, a, you know, are an elite footy team. You know, they've got really talented players. And, I'm you know, I've had a gut full of, you know, um, ta- all the talent and, you know, what, whatever the hell's going on anywhere else. But, you know, so even when they were winning, the you know, it's basically their creative forwards of, you know, Darcy Vessio, even the T-Train early. Um, that's Sal Harris uh, and Nick Stevens, even Lord of Georgia G. They had to go and get the footy. It was their elite forwards that chased down football and you know took amazing marks and 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 made it happen in the forward line. It wasn't a bloody lace out delivery. So you know they're still butchering it into forward fifty. It's just because Callum's got an elite forward line that, that you know ball users that can actually get the footy even if it's coming in like, you know, a helicopter. So, yeah, so it was interesting to, to sort of see that um, sort of stuff. And, you know, again, you know, dropping into holes in front of talented players, you know, honestly, you know, you know, T-Train was, it had, took some, you know, really fantastic marks. And, you know, when she kicks a you know, goal early, you, you know she's up and about. Um, uh, so, yeah, so it was, it was interesting to see what was going on there, you know, an effective inside 50s you know, delivery is just vital. You can't just keep blazing in there and, and hoping because good defences and, that, you know, those quality top five or six teams have superstar defences. So, again, we talk about if teams make finals, what impact they can make in finals. You know, that, that, those, those sorts of holes really worry me when teams aren't using the ball effectively and efficiently coming into their, you know, as I said, the kick and chase of 2017 is over. Um, teams are just so much better. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, so there's my rant for the sort of thing. I think Carlton really miss um, the run of, of Brooke Walker, Walker and Chloe Dalton this year. You know, and we sort of forget, I don't know if I even sort of thought about early when you're talking about the team and a couple of draft picks that they got that we wouldn't, well, we didn't know we weren't going to see Brooke Walker most of this year, who was really fantastic, 2019-2020. And, and I think, you know, Chloe Dalton, as a more senior player, even though she hadn't played much footy, you know, just run and carry. She makes good decisions and, you know, there's a reason why she's, you know, going for an, you know, making, going for an Olympic team. You know, so I think they miss those two. I, I can't see where the real drive and run comes from with Carlton this season. So, yeah, it does. It is a bit of a concern. Um, and, yeah, so, you know, at the end of the day, three minutes, three minutes of footy blew Carlton away. It's a bit, yeah, you'd be, you know, you'd be pretty unhappy. I imagine I'd be pretty unhappy there. So, you know, and it wasn't, we're not even talking three quarters, you know, one quarter of footy. It was literally three minutes. But, you know, they kicked those goals. And to Gemma Houghton, you know, she she'd not had a greatest day. You know, she hadn't, had two, she hadn't taken really any contested marks or anything really like we know, you know, none of that run and carry. She was, she was held down well. But then, you know, she kicks, 
you know, she finally gets that mark and goes back and, listen, you know, we rate Gemma Houghton on the move and on the run and everything else, but you also get a little bit nervous when she's directly in front, you know, 35 metres out, and she just nailed it. So, you know, they're up and about, and a bit like Melbourne, you know, Juddy being down, Cara, um, I don't remember what's her name now, Antonio, um, you know, she just, like Daisy Pierce, they just give structure to a very young developing forward line, and sometimes the players aren't necessarily young, because Gemma Houghton would be, what, 26, 27. Um, but they ha- they're young in terms of footy because they've only played a few years. They're not, you know, they're not the ones that have come up through the system or even you know, the Daisies and the Cara Donnellans that have really played, you know, a heap of VFLW, of WFL footy and obviously Daddy coming over to WA playing, um, you know, w- uh, waffle footy um, for years. So, yes, uh, you know, they really give them structure those two at each end and yeah I was I was disappointed in the Blues like I always thought Freo would win but the Blues came out with you know fire and I was excited and then boom yeah the same thing that's kind of holding their season back just came out and ruined them in the in the long run so there you go for the other Sunday afternoon game indeed not a happy Blues supporter (laughs) For the uh, for the other Sunday game, uh, Collingwood had the very difficult away road trip of driving half an hour across town to Witten Oval to take on the Brisbane Lions. Who were told with twenty four hours notice, get on a plane. Uh, the Lions four eleven thirty five hung on against the Magpies four eight thirty two. Coach Kiwi went for her pies by nine points. Gravesy went for the Lions by two points. I start with you, Gravesy. For the Lions, yes, they had to hold on, but with all things considered, that last-minute trip down to Melbourne, they'd be happy to walk away with not just a win, but making sure that Collingwood now have a loss. I know, boom! <laughs> like, I was like, I was like, what do you mean they're going to Melbourne? What do you mean they're going to play in Melbourne? You know, because it was obviously that really late, you know, late change. I'm like, oh, my tips, my tips. And you know, Kiwi's just shaming me here at the moment. And then I was like, oh, hang on a minute. Yeah, watching the game, and uh, I'm actually making this up because I cannot find my notes for all life of me on that game. But anyway, um, so yeah, but luckily I I watched it, and you know I'm just stoked, stoked, stoked for the pies because you know that loss is you know my superstition about not going through undefeated very important. So you know, so hold in there, pies, because yeah, the superstition is yeah, and I think I was listening to. Ruby Schleicher gets uh, interviewed on, you know, another one of the, uh, the, the women's pods as I was listening to driving down to Byron today. And, um, and yeah, Ruby's just, you know, just talking about the pies. And she even said, oh, you know, I don't think the win or the loss will actually hurt us. So I was like, good on you, Ruby. She's sticking with the crazy superstition of, yeah, don't go into, don't go into, you know, finals and deep into finals without losing a footy game. And I think... You know, they were, there was still so many really positive signs for the Pies through there. Um, I, you know, I also had a giggle. I think it was the commentators talking about um, Spark on Bree Davy and the fact that Spark was actually had actually missed the plane. She was still um, following Bree Davy home, and they were, you know, currently you know sitting on the around the dinner table with uh, with all the Davies, and she was still on her. So, you know, Spark was amazing on Bree Davy. I think she had like four disposals to half time. So when you talk about locking down those those elite ball users and those players that really come out and, and you know, and uh, and 
do amazing things for their footy team and they really activate their footy team. And Bree Davey has, has been able to do that. When Collingwood's been down in first halves over the last few weeks, um, Bree Davey's the one that's given them the spark and really driven that. And I think that was the difference by, you know, by the Lions shutting down Davey, um, it really, they couldn't find that spark. And, I, you know, I think Chloe Moy was also well held. So it's amazing uh, these teams that are able to have players. And not every team's got a player that can actually, has got the discipline or the, you know, the nous to be able to lock down the superstars. But, um, yeah, Brisbane Lions had a couple that could do that. And, and as I said, Spark was amazing. She's strong body. She's quick. And not only she shut down Brie Davey, she actually kicked the goal herself. So she's got a bit of pace. She's got a bit of everything there. So I thought that was an absolute ripper by that. And it also shows you, you know, we talk about, and I know the Suns girls, you know, we talk, I hear all the media talk about the Suns on the road and um, GWS on the road. But I know the players at both GWS and Suns, they all take it in their stride. And I think, you know, Lions really showed that, you know, uh, you know, they wake up on a Saturday morning thing, they've got a home game and all of a sudden, you know, they get a text in the middle of the night or first thing in the morning if they're a good sleeper and all of a sudden it's like, oh, get on the plane, you're going to play footy in another state. Um, you know, and Collingwood got, you know, completely dishevelled by, oh my God, you're not playing in Brisbane, you've got to go all the way to Whitnoval. So I'm, I'm really sad for them about that distance that they had to go. Um, so, yeah, so it was, yeah, it was interesting, um, an interesting game, and I just thought Brisbane were outstanding. And, it's, and they just they just show the resilience that they've got, how consistent they are as a team across the board. I thought their defensive line was fantastic, being able to hold, you know, those multiple um, goal avenues that Colin would have. Um, but again, their forward line, you know, they just, they work together really well. They pop up when they need to pop up. And they also have, yes, the twin towers and, and their smalls around the feet of that, but their midfield's also able to, you know, have scoreboard pressure as well. So I think it's a real well-rounded game by the pie, uh, sorry, by the, um, Lions. And I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm chuffed for them. I think it gives them real confidence and real belief, but it also makes everyone else. You know, and the Victorian media, media stand up um, and go, shit, this team's here. Sorry, apologies on that swear word. This team's here again, you know. <laughs> they just never let you down. And they've been decimated by, by yep, injury, but by expansion teams more than anyone. So, yeah, kudos, stars, and your posse. I love it. Really love it. Well done. Well done. To Coach Kiwi, for Collingwood, do they just – brush this loss off going, oh, well, bad day at the office? Or should there be more concern of, uh-oh, the Lions have just shown everyone else the blueprint to beat them? Um, yeah, I think probably um, they'll take a bit from the game rather than just brush it off um, as, as a you know as a bad day at the office. I think, you know, the, the wind was probably a telling factor in that the Lions just got out and, Hit that scoreboard pressure early in the game. They kicked two and eight behind early in the game, and and I think from there it just didn't look like they were going to be caught. You know, they continued each quarter getting another goal, another goal until the last quarter. I don't think they kicked a goal at all. But um, you know, I think that just sort of showed the kind of pressure they're applying throughout the game, and they're preventing Collingwood with preventing Collingwood using the ball well 
as they have been able to do in other matches. And that's why the likes of um, Chloe Malloy and some of the forwards just didn't even get touches on the footy in that first quarter. Um, you know, and, and Collingwood's, by the end of the game, Collingwood's um, best players on the stats for disposals were the ones that played through the back half of the field. See, Britt Benici, um, Steph Kiochi, she gets back a fair bit, but Ruby Schleicher, um, Steph Livingston, uh, sorry, Stacey Livingston, all from that back line, they're the ones that were, probably had the most possessions. And that just sort of shows the pressure that Brisbane supplied throughout the game and, um, you know, and even the strength that Collingwood have in that midfield. Spark did a really good job on Davy, and she's done it before. Um, I remember a game on Elise Parker where she really dominated her, in a, you know, when she was in a tagging role. And I think she did the same again. And, you know, and as Grazie said, she always also was able to contribute to the scoreboard, um, which you don't see too many taggers able to do that. Um, but... Um, Anderson wasn't, you know, wasn't she just amazing, you know, as a little body through that midfield that, you know, there's a lot of muscle in there when you look at the likes of Jamie Lambert and Davey and, you know, even when Benici rolls in, it's, um, you know, and for someone to come out like, like Anderson and um, get somebody to spoke of herself was pretty handy and, um, you know, and then you get your speed around with the likes of Conway and that, um, you know, I thought Batesy, um, just was just another consistent, solid game for one of their more experienced players, um, you know. And then Luckins across the back line, you know, she stopped some really key forward um, pressure from Collingwood and, um, you know, just was able to sort of start that transition from, from right there and just start the energise of the ball up the field and, um, and away Brisbane went. So, um, you know, absolute credit to what Stark is doing up there with his team and, you know, I think what people don't really see if you're outside of Victoria, you probably see it, but the Victorians not so much, is that Brisbane really have been a consistently solid team throughout all the seasons and they've been close to finals and a couple of times made finals, you know, or been right up there and just haven't, you know, haven't got obviously won a premiership yet, but they've had some really solid games and, you know, a really solid structure of the way that they can play some quality football. And, um, you know, if he can continue this for the next two rounds, who knows? Lions could be in the final again. So, yeah, um, I, just I'll yep. charm in. In terms of, I was, yeah, thinking about Collingwood and, you know, the last, when they've been sort of playing some of the top teams, they've really been slow to start, even against some of the bottom teams, as we sort of, yeah, have talked around. And I, I, I think it's interesting that they started slow again. And yet they switched it on in the second half, but this time they were playing a really quality oppo that, and that was able to just kick that extra goal when they needed to. So it was interesting that Collingwood yeah, had really slow um, first halves and really been able to dominate in the second half and do whatever they like. But yet yeah, it would be a worry for Collingwood that they can't actually, yeah, coming into, again, they're going to be playing finals. They're certainly up the up the pointy end, but they really need to tweak that second half because, you know, what Lions did was expose the fact that a quality team in that second half won't be just kicked over um, by the Pies. So, yeah, so I think there's a little bit of work to do um, for them. And I hope, you know, I'm hoping that that's, you know, as I said, listening to different interviews by the Collingwood players, they've identified that. But they didn't get away with that with Lions, and I think that's what got Lions over the line. 
to the Monday game. This was moved to the WA border restrictions from the Sunday to the Monday. Uh, the West Coast Eagles, 8-5-53, defeating Geelong 2-2-14. For the Eagles, 3 to Amara Cameron and 4 to the Kelly gang. Two each to Grace and Neve <laughs> Kelly, the Irishwoman getting on the scoreboard. Uh, Coach Cooey, this is the West Coast Eagles' uh, biggest win in their short AFLW uh, career. Yeah, gosh, then they uh, rack up some points. But, um, you know, West Coast is the opposite of Collingwood in that they do start games strong and they've done it against some really quality opposition too. And, you know, here was a team and they they did get out of the blocks and they really applied some pressure. They just didn't get any goals in that first quarter. Um, so then you start to think, you know, Cats are still in this, Cats are with a chance. I thought Cats actually played, you know, I'm not saying they don't play with heart, but it felt like they were playing with a bit more heart in this game and they they actually looked like they were attacking the football a lot more than I've seen them in other matches. And um, and whether they thought they were in with a chance and if that's what it was that made them, um, you know, go a little bit hungry in the match, I don't know. But, um, you know, certainly it did look like a Cats team that was there to play um, some good football. But... Um, you know, and ha- having said that, I think when you have the likes of even even McCarthy and those two Kelly sisters, the speed that they generate and the way that they are able to get like a little kick around the body for a little short, you know, get the ball out of a contest and, you know, it might not be long enough for a mark, but it's just enough to, um, you know, get the pressure off and move the ball further down the field. They're just, they've got some amazing skills that these Gaelic players bring in, but they're just leg speed. Um, and Neve Kelly normally plays down the back line and they threw her forward quite a bit. And boy, wasn't she a gun running that forward 50? And, you know, the three of them, the way they link up and look for each other is something a little bit special too. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, had Giants um, able to keep the three Irish players that they had originally signed, we might have seen that as well. And I think that's what you see. If you get a few Gaelic players together, they just link very, very well. And Gravy, if her memory holds strong, she can probably tell you what it was like back when she did coach the Australian team against that Irish team um, and what they were like when they played that game. But, um, you know... Still trying to forget that, Kiwi. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, just, but you know, it's just the sheer pace that they can um, run with. But then you yeah, move that, move that football along. Um, you know, the two teams, the efficiency was pretty similar. And their stats were similar in a lot of areas, except for obviously the scoreboard. And um, you know, West Coast had thirty-two inside fifties to twenty-two from Geelong. The only telling part of that is that Geelong only generated six shots from those twenty-two. Whereas um, West Coast got 16 from their 32, but it's you know it, it is absolutely when it comes down to the likes of Amara Cameron and what she does and the Kelly sisters, it's um, you know it probably shows that had, had they been able to fire in some other games, I think they would have put some pressure on some other teams um, with their results. But certainly West Coast showed they can get some score and um, got some really handy players. Throughout, um, I thought Swanee, she was solid through the midfield and she just her tackle pressure um, around the contest was really, really good too. Um, but yeah, Cats, I don't know what what they can do from here on in. I, I think um, I think they play the Suns in the last, in round nine. 
um, and I'm not sure that cats are generating enough on the scoreboard to um, make a dent in that game either. And funny you mentioned the Suns. The Cats' last victory was 375 days ago against the Gold Coast Suns, which they won by 20 points up on the Gold Coast, Friday, 6th of March, 2020. Uh, to Gravesy, focus I on think the- it was in Mackay. Not in oh, yeah, McGee, it was. It was indeed. You are correct. <laughs> um, the positive side for West Coast out of this is not only the big win, Gravesy, but how they rebounded back after copping that drubbing the week before from Fremantle. Yeah, they probably just expect Freo to flog them, so they just go through the motions. Oh, listen, I don't know, Pete. I know it's late. Well, I know this will be, you know, a big podcast or anything, but it is very late for Gracie on a Tuesday night. But um, oh, maybe I'm just cranky because I'm getting up too early. But I thought the first half was like what, like watching paint dry. I was just a bit like, meh. Now, it was Monday night, you know, as I said, Long weekend of footy, so maybe I was just not up and about, to be honest. But I was just, it was like, oh, four points kicked in the games. I think we've probably been, we've probably been served up such amazing football this season that four points and a half is like a bit, oh. In a quarter. I get a bit disappointed. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Same, same. Um, but, and then, yeah, and then all of a sudden I sort of woke up because Amara kicked you know, kick those couple of goals and and uh, you know, and I've got a bit of a link with Mara. You know, obviously three years ago we were, we were tra- taking that Aussie Sparks tour to the US, and this Aboriginal girl from Perth joined the thing, and all of a sudden, you know, and that, that was you know a big influence. Um, I, I think Juddie was a massive influence, um, being the mentor on that thing. And it's so good to see Mara up and playing, and you know she had such talent. So to get her body right and play footy, I was chuffed for her. Um, I really feel for Geelong's bookends. You know, Meg Mack and Phoebe McWilliams, they just keep turning up every week and one stops it and one marks it at the other end. And she, yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a tough year, hasn't it, with, um, for Geelong. And uh, as I said, I know, you know, my team up here is not going too flash either. But, um, yeah, you just don't, you don't know. It was like after round one we spoke about, we don't know when Geelong's first win is going to come. And, and uh, um, we're still not sure. Wrapping up. No, ra- go on. Wrapping up round seven. <laughs> now, out of the seven games, you all tipped differently in six games, but you split them all. Four, four. <laughs> so that I means... know, I was and I was like, oh, I got that one, but oh, damn it, I Kiwi got that one. I was like, damn it all. So that means <laughs> it's still a four-point lead to Coach Kiwi, 37 to 33 after seven <laughs> rounds. As we go to the eighth right, round. Let's just move on to the next week. Eighth round, we begin with Friday night football up at Metricon Stadium. It is the Gold Coast Suns versus Carlton. I shall start with you, Gravesy. Who wins between the Suns and the oh, Blues? Suns by five points. <laughs> if the Suns win, it's goodbye to Carlton's uh, finals aspirations. Suns by five. Five points. Point. And for Coach Kiwi? Uh, Blues by 21. The Blues to blow out the Suns by 21. We go to Saturday football. We're talking about them earlier. Geelong Cats playing host to GWS Giants in GMHBA Stadium. Coach Kiwi, who wins by how much? Uh, Yeah, I'm going to go the Giants 
if it's a rainy day, they might win by 22. If it's a wet day, they'll win by 12. Uh, can you give me an exact? Because I can tell you, at this stage, the current weather forecast is 26 degrees and mostly sunny for Saturday. Oh, okay, yeah. Giants by eight. Giants to win by eight points. Cravesy. Um, no, listen, yeah. Jesus, cats are probably likely to do something weird, but I doubt it. I'm going Giants by 35 points. One-sided affair I there. Cl- I can't clack and then, you know, and then picture long. That'd be weird. <laughs> At Victoria Park, Collingwood play host to St Kilda. Gravesy, who wins them by how much? Pies by 36 points. Pies by 36 points. Coach Kiwi? Um, yeah, I'm going to go the Pies by 28 we go to Saturday night football. We're at the Gabba, the Brisbane Lions versus the Kangaroos. Coach Kiwi, who wins and by how much? I think the Lions are going to be too strong at home. I think uh, they proved last week they've uh, got a pretty good formula going and know how to take on the top team. I'm going to go the Lions by 12. Gravesy. Yeah, they actually play good footy, the Lions there just watching all the different academy games and winter series and all the other things. And I didn't even realise it was the Gabba at the time. Um, right at the time that I'm in Brunchdorp coaching footy, so no chance of me actually being involved at all. I'm going uh, oh, I'm going north by six. The only reason I'm doing that is because I reckon Kiwi and I are going to press the same for the rest. We've got to get up some way. So north by six <laughs> in so north that by game? Six. Um, that will actually be the 40th AFLW venue to host a game. Um, we go to Sunday football at Punt Road Oval. It is Richmond versus the West Coast Eagles. Gravesy. Yeah, tied by 18 points. Although it's going to be a ripper. I reckon the Eagles will start, you know, flying. But then, yeah, I reckon Tigers are too strong with their, sk- with their um, skills. Coach Kiwi. Oh, yeah, it's um, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because these are the two teams we both picked as uh, wooden spooners <laughs> early on. Yeah, um, we'll stick with your wooden spoon, yet. <laughs> but, you know, the season has changed. Teams are getting goals. It's just all about the tips. What about, you know, backing the things you back? <laughs> okay, I'm backing Amara Cameron to get another couple of goals. I'm going to go West Coast by six. Big shock there. <laughs> we, we, this is going to bring me up. No, I can just feel it. We go <laughs> to Norwood Oval. It's the Crows versus the Bulldogs. Toast Kiwi, who wins the Crows and the Bulldogs by how much? Oh, this is going to be a ripping match. I think, um, I don't know, Bulldogs, I think Bulldogs can take it to Crows, but I think at the end of the day, Crows are going to come out firing after last week's spanking. And um, I'm going to go to the Crows by 18. Gravesy. Yeah, Crows are going to be absolutely just cranky about that week <laughs> last week, about that game last week. And, uh, yeah, Norwood will turn on the good weather, let's hope. And I reckon Crows will win by 36 points. And finally, on Sunday at Fremantle Oval, it is the Dockers versus the Demons. Gravesy, who wins this one and by how much? Oh, listen... At the end of the day, 
God, I really want Melbourne to make finals, and I know Frio will, but I'd really like Melbourne to win because I think they deserve to play finals footy. They're going to be rippers. But uh, I've got to back my Dockers. I don't think I've back, I'm back, not backed the Dockers. Unfortunately, I don't think I've hardly not backed the Suns. So talk about bookends. <laughs> um, no wonder I'm crappy in the in the tipping. Uh, no, I reckon, yeah, I reckon Dockers by well, – I reckon they're going to fall over. I think it's going to be an absolute corker. I reckon it'll be three points. Frio by three points. Coach Kiwi. Yeah, I think it's going to be an absolute corker too. I think, um, you know, Demons are um, – I think they're going to play a really interesting game that's going to be tough for Frio, but Frio at home are um, tough to beat. So um, it's going to be a great game to watch. So I'm going to go Dockers by seven. Just give me one. Something. I can get one, one more, one, one different. So there's two there, isn't there? Three. Uh, no, oh, two, two. two. No, three, three. three. See, uh, Suns and Ooh. Blues, you've gone different. Richmond and the yeah, Eagles, you've gone different. <laughs> and North different. and the Lions, you've Suns gone different. Suns are killing me, Peter. You need the Suns to knock out the team you love on Friday night. <laughs> Don't you love that selfish <laughs> choice? I just want them to get a win, the little fellas. Crazy and go to make a call into it, you lucky. Thanks I'm as go always. And, you know, justify. And we look Something forward to, next week. to another episode week. of Coach versus Coach next <laughs> week. He's interrupting us. How about that? Yeah, I know. How Time rude. Up. He thinks he owns his show. Still to come on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast, we are going to be chatting with Grace Bucket of the Casey Demons in our VFL Women's Footy Report. We'll be catching up with the coach of the Pike Queen Ants who are playing the Doan Buffets in the NTFL Women's Grand Final this weekend. That's Ricky Nolan. We'll also be chatting with Emma Gibson who played her 100th game for Cooparoo on the weekend. And of course, she played in three premierships in a row in the inaugural three seasons in Queensland State League Women's Footy. We'll also catch up with Chrissy Steen coach of North Adelaide in the SANFL women's competition, as well as Alice Smith, captain of the Claremont Tigers in the WAFL women's competition. That's all on the way. VFL Women's Footy Report. Round three is concluded in the Victorian Football League women's competition. And the Casey Demons at the moment are sitting at two and one. They had an impressive win over the North Melbourne Kangaroos on the weekend. 9-11-65 to 1-6-12. That certainly helped the Demons percentage and on the line part of the Demons leadership group. In fact, the reigning premiership captain. It is great to have Grace Buck. And Grace, how are you? Very well, thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me on tonight. I really appreciate it. Great to have you on the line. And how does that word sit with you? It, it's a bit strange because we've missed a full year of football. So technically, you are still the reigning premiership captain. Yes. Um, I'm fortunate enough to hold the title for longer than most, to be honest, um, considering we didn't have a season in, in 2019. Um, but yeah, even though I'm in new colours, at a new club with, with different values and playing different positions, um, it's still such an honourable feeling and, and something I continue to take with me in all aspects of my life just to motivate me and push me to achieve the next level. Um, yeah, and something that I can never, like no one can ever take it away. So it's something I hold very closely to me. And instead of getting sad that it's over, I, um, I make sure I'm happy about the experiences I had with those players and, and yeah, that premiership grand final game. 
it's interesting to see because no longer the premiership reigning premiership coach or the reigning premiership captain at Collingwood. Of course, Penny went uh, uh, at the end of 2019 to go join with Weemstown. Mm. We've obviously seen a whole heap of list changes as well with mm. the alignment of the season moving to that February start. Um, for you personally, mm. were you moving at the end of 2019 or did the move to Casey actually come around 2020 for the 2021 season? Yeah, so I did start thinking about it at the end of 2019 um, and it was a very well thought plan and move for me. I did consider other clubs and, and which club could give me the most in terms of my individual development and, and the ability to be able to get to that next level. Casey has been a club that's been on my radar for probably the past two years um, that I've, I've considered and had some conversations with. And in terms of what they had to offer for me uh, and to work on specific aspects of my game, I was blown away with, with their program, with their coaching staff, um, with, with all the support at the club. And, um, yeah, it, even though it was a really hard decision, I mapped out the pros and cons. I literally wrote it down and, and Casey was just definitely a, a strong um, yeah, decider for me. It must be nice to be wanted to have at least a number of clubs showing interest in you when you were considering uh, moving on from Collingwood. Um, how did that initial recruitment come about with Casey? Who reached out to you? Did you reach out to them or did they actually reach out to you? And, and what were those conversations like? Again, talking about the new role that you would end up having. Yeah, so um, Casey actually reached out to me not, not long after the grand final and, and after the AFLW draft happened. Um, and at first I was probably a bit more dismissive in terms of, oh, no, no, I'll just stay at Collingwood or I might just see other clubs. But then I started to think about it more and, and explore um, the option of Casey a little bit more in terms of the program. And I've heard great things about it. And I know a few um, players who have, have been drafted from the program and really enjoyed the togetherness of the women's and men's team. Um, so, yeah, I decided to have some conversations with the recruiter, um, Todd, and also the head coach at the time, Damien um, Keeping, who I just instantly connected with, instantly um, felt that he knew me inside out as a player. And I felt that it was a place that a really good platform for me to be able to um, refine my skills and become the best player and person at the club. For you personally, how did you handle the last uh, 12 months or so when our world got flipped upside down? So here you are, you're at a new club at Casey, you're, you're gearing up, ready to go for the 2020 season, then everyone is told, hang on, well, well, stop for a moment, we don't know if we're going to go yet. Then we get to, I think it was about June, July, then the word comes out of, well, no, the season's kind of scrapped, but we're going to do this super series kind of deal. And then obviously we had the second lockdown and bang, everything is off. Football is just completely gone in Victoria. What happened for you yeah. over those 12 months? <laughs> it was very tough. Um, and I think the toughest part was I was just getting my momentum. I was finding my feet at Melbourne. I was doing training on AFLW with the girls and um, also doing the VFL training. And I was really, really improving and working my strength and physicality bang, COVID happened. Um, from that point, I continued my training for a matter of months, probably up until July. And I just kept climbing and climbing and climbing in predicting that there would be a season. Um, and then also with the Super Series um, being announced, I continued my training. I think I got to a point where I was probably a bit more overtrained than a anything. Um, and when that Super Series got cancelled, as we went into that stage four lockdown, I said to myself, I'm just going to have a month off, um, stick to some strength training, basic 
running and skills and just come back to pre-season, uh, end of 2020, fresh rather than overcooked. So it was definitely a challenging year in terms of um, how, how much to push yourself and, and how much to also rest and, and take the time that you need to be able to come back to pre-season feeling good. Um, but, yeah, I feel as though by reaching out to networks at Casey and, and some players that live locally to me, I was able to keep up my touch and skill and, and come back to pre-season, not in the worst shape. <laughs> How much easier has the move been made when, you, of course, you're coming across with a fellow Collingwood teammate in uh, Nicole Hales? Yes. Yes. Nick Hales is a very good friend of mine. Um, and I was extremely excited to, to find out that she'd signed on with Casey. We've, we've always played very well together and we've always had this really good connection. Um, Hales has always been in the back line and I've been on the wing. So we've had some nice passage, passage of play and just having her there um, for confidence um, and, and a really good mate to, to lean on has been just so good. Uh, and not to mention her skill and her composure in the back line. She's a, she's a came second in the best in Ferris and is a very valuable player. Uh, and we're so lucky to, to have her move from Collingwood to our Casey program. So let's have a look at your 2-1 start to the year. We, of course, were there to call that game at Icon Park against Carlton. It's a game that had, I guess for both sides, a bit of a sluggish start in the first half until in the second half you really put mm. the foot down and ran away from them. What was the feedback and feeling coming off that uh, first victory in the first game? Yeah, it was very exciting, to be honest. And I think what got us over the line and, and absolutely smashed it was our physicality and our ability to attack and, and bully Carlton to a point where um, we used our physicality, we took the ball forward and were able to connect with our forwards as well, um, having the forwards be in front of the ball um, and be able to convert those goals really helped us. Uh, but, yeah, definitely we, we looked super strong out there. We looked very experienced. Um, all the way from our back line to our forward line. The first half was probably a bit more tentative and and, um, and scared in a way. But, uh, yeah, with some feedback from the coaches and, and also the players, we were able to lift up to that next standard and, yeah, just be able to attack a bit more. In round two, unfortunately, you did have that close loss against Essendon out there at Windy Casey Fields. Um, what were the lessons coming out of that game against the Bombers that uh, you did manage to improve on, which obviously led to that fantastic result against North Melbourne in round three? Yeah. With that ascending game, I think what meant a lot was that we all took that loss personally and we, we were all hurting from, from how close we were, but it was just too late. So we didn't really show up in the, in the first half in terms of our effort and intent. And as soon as we started to get the ball moving in the last quarter, it was too late. That's then we're already on top of us. And the fact that we took that loss so personally and, and came back together that following week and, and had some really tough conversations from the coaching staff and from the players um, meant to us that we had to lift the standard and we had to bring in a completely different side mentally to that game in, in the weekend. And, and to be able to, to be able to completely change our mindset and bring that physicality, um, and skill and attack that we did against North was just so exciting and it shows what our Casey team is. And I think in a way that loss was hard, but it was also good for us to be able to come back together and be like, just because we had one win against Carlton, we can't get complacent. We're still going to continue to keep improving and, yeah, 
driving that from the leadership group as well as the, the, the coaches. Now, was it definitely windy conditions down there at Casey Fields again on the weekend? Because looking at the scorecard, I'm seeing for you guys out of your nine goals, eight coming towards one end of the ground. Yes, definitely windy conditions. Although I think from training there um, three times a week, but we're, we're pretty used to those conditions and, and to be able to use it. So uh, if anything, it was probably more of an advantage. And by the time that uh, yeah the wind and the rain really picked up, we had a few goals under our belt uh, and we were already playing really well and, and, and basically couldn't be stopped with um, yeah, the, the contest and, and the skill that we were showing on the weekend. So, um, yeah, definitely, it definitely helped in um, certain quarters to be able to get a few more goals. But, but overall, I think that we used that win to our advantage uh, and we had that strong lead um, before it was, became really wet and slippery. Now, one advantage of uh, the seasons being almost aligned with the AFLW and VFLW is that you do have dropping back to the Casey Demons from Melbourne, some of the Melbourne AFLW listed players, while they're probably in the more peak form of their year. We saw that in round one with Imogen Barnett, five goals out of the goal square in that win Mm. against Carlton. And then you had Mm. that uh, extra little help again against North Melbourne. Uh, Irish woman Neve McAvoy had dropped down, three goals for her and also named in the best. Yes. Um, yeah, Neve's been working unbelievably hard in the forward line, and yet yeah, to have to have that many goals on the weekend is just so exciting. She's so quick. She's so exciting to watch. Um, but it's yeah, it's been a really, really good advantage having that AFLW program aligned with the VFL program because we get exactly what the AFLW girls are getting in terms of um, skills. The coaching staff as well are going between both programs. And, yeah, the ability to have those girls drop down into our league uh, and, and bring their skill and bring their leadership across all lines is, is just super beneficial for us. And credit to them for fitting so seamlessly into our program um, from not training with us at all during the week and, and being able to, to um, yeah, bring their A game on the weekend and, and show how they play as well as fit into how we play is really exciting. Absolutely, and uh, another player who kicked uh, two goals on the uh, weekend and also was named amongst the best, Emerson, also for you as well. Yes, Emerson has an incredible kick um, and obviously a very experienced and, and skilled player. Um, once again, it's always hard when, when new people come into that midfield in terms of having that connection with them and, and knowing, knowing what, what they're um, likely to do. But with Chantel, she really, really played phenomenally, to be honest, uh, and was able to, to fit in really well to the midfield structures and also give us feedback and um, advice when, when things weren't necessarily going our way. But, yeah, she definitely stood out in terms of being able to, to really drive that footy forward um, and sneak a couple of goals as well. And it must always be pleasing when you look at your best players and see to be named amongst the best, in fact, named best on ground, uh, your captain in Sammy Johnson. Yeah, Sammy absolutely set the standard. And if yeah, if anyone deserved best on, it was her. Um, she absolutely brought the physicality that we did not bring um, to Essendon the previous week. And to, to be able to play in pain, not, not many people can do that. She had a few knocks um, early on in the game and, and managed to still play through those knocks as well as bring up the entire team. So I think that really set the standard for everyone else um, and, and encouraged us to 
be able to, to protect her and also, yeah, play for each other. So looking ahead for the Casey Demons uh, over the next couple of weeks, uh, your, your first thoughts, obviously, you've got the Southern Saints uh, coming up uh, this Sunday, 10.30am. Uh, the Southern Saints seem to be a good side, but they've had some losses, uh, including recently against uh, Geelong. And after you back up against the Southern Saints in this little window before the uh, Easter long weekend, you then play the currently unbeaten Collingwood. So two big <laughs> games before you hit the break. Yeah. Two very big games. Um, I think with Saints, they're such a highly skilled um, team that, that really like their contest play and are very strong um, early. So I think if we can bring that physicality to them quite early on uh, and basically just stick to our gameplay, which, which has been working the past couple of weeks, then we'll have a really hot chance. Um, and I think obviously being able to play out every single quarter um, in, in and know that everything matters, what we do on the field is, is going to be super important. With Collingwood, that's going to be a tough one mentally and physically. Um, but I do think, think that it will be a very solid matchup between either side. I think that we, we have um, very different game styles um, as well as a lot of similarities. So I think that will be an extremely exciting match to play. And it also, also always tough when you're playing your old side. Absolutely, but I guess there might be maybe a little bit of mental games. You're just walking around telling a few players, I played with you, I know how to beat you. (laughs) (laughs) That's true, I'll keep that in mind. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Grace, thank you very much for joining us. Congratulations on the two one starts of the season so far for the Casey Demons. Things seem to be flying along nicely. And all the very best as you take on the Southern Saints this weekend down at Casey Fields. Thanks so much, Peter. Looking forward to it. So let's take a look back at round three results on the VFLW on Friday night. Collingwood 10 10 70 to feed the Western Bulldogs three straight 18 at VU Witten Oval. For the uh, Pies, goal kickers three to Smith, singles to Xander, Colburn, Veal, Ma, Stratton, Barnett, Rowe, and Jackson, named amongst the best for the Pies, Stratton, King, and Smith. For the Western Bulldogs, individual goal kickers Purcell, Grant, and Dennehy Maloney, uh, their best players Murphy, McMahon, and Chris Gurgle. Across to Saturday football, and on Saturday morning at the Hangar, Essendon 8-7-55 defeated Hawthorne 3-9-27. For the Bombers, three goals for Mia Ray Clifford, two each for McDonald and Frew, and one to Theodore. Their better players, McDonald, Ashley Cooper and Snell. For the Hawks, singles to Bain, Flanagan and Brown. Their better players, Brown, Cormack and Hutchins. Across to Casey Fields, where the Demons 9-11-65 defeated North Melbourne 1-6-12. For the Demons, three to McAvoy, two to Emerson, singles to Milford, Thomas, West and Kirkwood. Best players, Johnson, Emerson and McAvoy. For North Melbourne, their only goal kicker, Fitzgerald, and their better players were Keeley, Greenacre and Lawrence. Geelong 2-4-16 defeated the Southern Saints 1-2-8. Goal kickers for the Cats were Fedley and Gunjaka. Uh, best players were Maguire, Smith and Fuller. For the Saints, uh, Moreau kicked their only goal. Best players, uh, Von Bertok, um, or Bumberto, should I say, Haynes and Bohanna. To Northport Oval, Port Melbourne 6-9-45, defeated Weemstown 3-1-19. For the Borough, two goals to McNamara, two also to Locke, singles to Saxon Jones and Bailey. Their best players were McDonald, Kais and Peschke. For Weemstown, two to Bartonweg-Webster and one to Merritt. Their best players, Will and Bartonweg-Webster and their captain in Mead. 
The final game of the round saw Carlton 3-9-27 beat Darabin 3-2-20. Goal kickers for the Blues, Trudgeon, Peterson and Jones. Best players, Borg, Peterson and Gerb. For the Falcons, singles to Lynch, David and Simpson. Best players, Schneider, Blackwood and Camilleri. Looking ahead to round four football, we've got two games on the Saturday, four games on the Sunday. Both games on the Saturday, you'll hear on WARFradio.com. 11 a.m. bounce down at VU Witten Oval for the Western Bulldogs versus Williamstown. 5 p.m. bounce down at Deakin University Warren Ponds for Geelong versus Port Melbourne. Across to Sunday football and the 10.30 a.m. game at Icon Park, Carlton v North Melbourne. That will be live on WARFradio.com. Also kicking off at 10.30am at Casey Fields is the Casey Demons versus the Southern Saints. 10.30am at the Hangar, it's Essendon versus Darabin. And 11am at Victoria Park, it's Collingwood versus Hawthorne. And don't forget to find out which games are being video streamed. Follow on Twitter the VFL Twitter account. It's very simple. It's just VFL on Twitter. NTFL Women's Footy Report. Well, we're set for this weekend, the NTFL Women's Premier League Grand Final. It's on. It's the minor premiers, Pint versus the Darwin Buffettes. Pint had to take the long way around, and they knocked off Nycliffe in the preliminary final to set up a rematch with their opponents from the major semi-final just over a week and a half ago. And it's great to have on the line the uh, minor premiership coach in Ricky Nolan from the Pint Queen Ants. Ricky, how are you? Yeah, good, mate. Good. Thanks for this time. Uh, first of all, uh, how are the nerves feeling as we count down the sleeps to this weekend? Yeah, I think a great, I, I think there's nothing wrong with a bit of nerves. It is a big occasion. We've trained really, really hard for eight months for it. So, yeah, obviously a few, uh, a few nerves there. But uh, I, obviously from when I used to play, I enjoyed being the game in the final. I enjoyed being nervous. So I think everyone will be nervous because it is a big occasion. We've trained so hard for this, for this moment. Let's talk about rebounding back from a week and a half ago in that major semi-final. Um, Nicole Graves, a famous coach in Victoria and WA, she always said she she hates going through a season undefeated. It makes her nervous. Um, you had the loss against Darwin Buffett, and it actually had a couple of close results with them when you played against them in the home and away season. What was immediately said to the group after that major semi-final to get them to refocus going ahead to the preliminary against Nightcliff? Yeah, look, I knew, yeah, that's a good sign. I think we won the first game by two points. I think it might have been, we won by eight, uh, six or eight points, I think it was, and then they've beaten us by a goal, I think it was, or eight points in the final. So there's no more than a goal, sort of, in between us. We played as good a football as we have in that game in the first half, but then Buffs, you know, just got momentum in the second half. So it did highlight that, you know, we did play really good football in the first half, and then, you know, it's obviously coming to just have to uh, move a little bit, and, uh, you know, they were just able to get momentum and that's what we just can't give them momentum. They got momentum and then they uh, were able to pip us on the line. So you have the preliminary final match against Nightcliffe. Uh, coming into that game, they're very buoyant, Nightcliffe. Um, they've won two in a row. They're, they're playing the role of the underdog coming into this. Instead, to be fair, you managed to stomp on them and you stomped on them fairly early. A three-goal one first term, a three-goal one second term to, to put on a big margin uh, heading into half time. How important was it talked about the fast start to essentially snuff out any momentum that Nightclip were riding coming into this game? Yeah, it was. And we did, as you said, we kicked six goals. 
skulls in the uh, in the first half. We actually kicked six goals the week before against us in the first half as well. So the last two weeks, we haven't kicked six goals in, uh, in the first half of the week for the second side, say the final side all, all year. So actually our first half of the last two weeks and even the last buffs have been really, really good. Um, but yeah, as you say, now yeah, nine prepared, um, had to be wary of them and it was really good to get that uh, get off and get to, a, get, get to a good start. Indeed, it was pleasing, 38-1. to 1. And then as we go into the second half, it actually turned into a, a bit of a grinding affair. Uh, you'd kick one goal, one for the remainder of the game. Nightcliff would kick uh, one goal, three. How tough is it uh, going into that second half? In, in one way, you're protecting your lead. You'd ideally like to stretch the margin a little more. But also at the same time, you've kind of got one eye on going to the grand final next week and obviously wanting to make sure, particularly for your star players, that there are no injuries, that you're as fit as possible heading into grand final week. Yeah, totally agree with you. If you look at the, what you're saying, I agree with what you're saying. If you look at the, the scoreboard side of it, it looked like a one-goal one piece. And you are right, we did take some girls off, you know, the, the better players towards the end of the game. We did rotate more in the second half because we thought we were in a good position. And spoke a few, to a few people about it. Oh, God, it was only just one goal apiece. Can we take the foot off the pedal a little bit again? But I disagree as in the way, you know, we probably had still had 80% of, uh, you know, of the ball. You know, the ball was now four and a half, 80% of the time. We just didn't score. So possession of the footy was just as high as it probably was in the first half. Uh, not a big fight back and all credit to them as well. But yeah, I don't, you know, I still think we still played all right footy, even though it didn't show on the scoreboard. And yeah, we did certainly did rest our better players in the second half of the game as well. Let's talk about the uh, better players. Um, a couple of them were obviously former NT Thunder players. First of all, Katie Streeter, named best on ground for you. Yeah, look, she's uh, with Cassie Henderson, they're the heart and soul of the footy club. Uh, and the reason they've done, not only have they done a lot for, uh, for uh, the points, Club. They've also done a lot for women's football, growing, you know, growing pints in India, and that's been able to grow the women's competition. So, yeah, they haven't, they've never played the grand final, never had a real lot of success, and this would be great. Yeah, great for those. It's great that we can make grand final, but we're not really there to make grand finals. We're there to win premierships. So, she is, you know, a very underrated player. Also, Jasmine Hewitt, uh, she managed to kick a goal, named amongst the best, and had the honour the other night of being named the NTFL Women's Premier League League Best and Fairest. Yeah, look, she and well deserved. I think no one, everyone thought of she was hot favourite going into the night. She's the ultimate professional. Uh, trains very, very hard. Extremely athletic. She deserves every every credit and accolade that she gets because you know, her season so far has been outstanding. Also named amongst the best, a Victorian uh, out of the Weemstown Football Club, Jacinta Reed. She's been brilliant. Uh, Jacinta come up here, paid her own isolation. Uh, she's just been a, a pleasure to coach. Got herself a job, just fitted into the football club like a glove. I think she's fitted into the territory like a glove. She's enjoyed the territory that much that she's wanted to stay up here and do a dry season. But uh, yeah, she's just been. She's a very, very good footballer. Just, you know, I know she's you know, a good player at Williamstown with Williamstown captain. But uh, yeah, she's loving Pines Love and the territory lifestyle and her footy in the finals. Even the, the game against Buff, she was one of our best as well. She's been absolutely brilliant for us. 
One thing I do want to pick up on is uh, I noticed online seeing an interview from you uh, before the start of the season, uh, speaking on Darwin Radio and your desire to get into coaching, uh, particularly with the Pint Football Club and the women's program. And you you said actually the season before you'd you'd seen them training and and you were impressed with them. What appealed to you about this team and thinking, right, I can take them from the level of just making the finals to go that next year and vie for the premiership. Yeah, I think not many coaches get to try before they buy, and I sort of did. I got they asked me to come out and take them for I think a two or three trainings the year before, and just uh, just you just tell our group that just wanted to learn. And as a coach, I love the teaching the teaching side of football. I've always coached men's football, coached St Mary's football club. But done the men for a very long time and yeah just took these girls to train and just really really enjoyed it once they snuck into the final last year I went and watched, I went and watched the final I thought they had an absolute crack and then uh, Katie Street and a couple of girls uh, really kind of just me on the phone and asked me to coach them and yeah, spoke to my wife and she said that I really wanted to get back into coaching I've always coached St Mary's and looked at myself as a St Mary's person wasn't that keen to coach against St Mary's in the men's, in the men's section because I looked at myself the same person. I thought, nah, this is the perfect mix. I, I love the coaching side of it. I did. I'd taken up the training the years before, and I just knew that I'd enjoy it. I just loved it. I absolutely loved it. It's such a great group. So, this weekend, the grand final with Darwin Buffett's. As we mentioned on our program uh, last week, uh, yourself and the Buffets actually had a couple of close games in the home and away season. They came from behind to, to beat you in the major semi-final. From those three games, what lessons have you taken from that that you need to improve on to make sure that you have your hands on the cup at the end of the day? Yeah, I think you uh, just need to stop it in that moment. And they've got a couple of some, certain, some very quick, young, talented players up forward. Need to stop them. We missed a couple of tackles. I think tackling is pretty important. And just stopping their, their momentum. When they had momentum, we were just unable to stop that. And, and the best way to stop momentum is kick a goal, really. So, you know, just if they kick a goal, we just got to fight back and make sure that we get the next one. Make sure we get the next in the break. But yeah, just stopping that momentum. Tackling is pretty important as well, I think. If you do win it, um, it'll be uh, the duo, the uh, Women's Premier League Cup and the Division 2 title for uh, the Pine Football Club. Uh, the Division 2 side won the grand final just over a week ago, uh, beating Tracy Village. What do you think has gone right as a whole for the club to have so much success on the women's side of the program this year? Yeah, I don't know what it is. Uh, again, talk about that word momentum. We turn up and we're getting 50 to 60 girls at training, which was just yeah, we'd only just struggled to get a Div 2 side the year before, so the numbers were high, and it was just sort of a bit of a destination that, you know, new people to Darwin were just sort of coming out to, you know, have a kick at the footy, and the girls, especially the Div 2 girls, improved the other side. And I just think numbers on the track, we do train hard, the girls listen, and, um, yeah, the, the Div 2, and that, there was a really good win where the Div 2 girls, and most of those girls are in football. Um, yeah, and just the moment, it's just a, just a, a good place to be around, I think it's a good environment. Uh, girls all socialise, they're really tight group uh, together, I think. Yeah, no, they were terrific to do too, and to be yeah, really capped off if we could win uh, in the Premiership this year would be a big, a big achievement to win, uh, win both grades. Well, Ricky, thank you very much for joining us. Congratulations again on winning the minor premiership and getting through to the grand final for your rematch with the Darwin Buffets. 4 p.m. local time this Saturday at TIO Stadium. And we wish you and the Queen Ants all the very best.
Cheers, thanks a lot. Now, we were hoping to have the coach of the Darwin Buffets, Chris Atkinson, as part of our grand final preview. Unfortunately, he didn't respond by our recording deadline. So just recapping that preliminary final victory, Pint 7-3-45, defeating Nightcliffe 1-4-10, setting up the grand final this weekend between the Darwin Buffets and the Pint Queen Ants, 4pm Saturday, 20th of March at TIO Stadium. And, of course, you can watch it uh, on an hour delay via the AFL NTV YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com and search AFL NTV to watch the 2020-2021 NTFL Women's Premier League Grand Final. Best of luck to Pint and the Buffets. WAFL Women's Footy Report. Another round of the WAFL women's competition has passed over the weekend and after the fourth round, Claremont find themselves in second position and that was courtesy of a win over Subiaco on the weekend, 7-4-46 to 4-2-26. And it's our privilege to have on the line the captain of the Claremont women's football team, the one and only Ella Smith. Ella, how are you? Good, how are you? Great to have you on the line. Just uh, first up, how's it feeling to be second on the table at the moment? Three and one with a good start to the year. Yeah, honestly, winning's always a thrill, um, no matter the team, but it's it's so good to see that our hard work from pre-season's um, finally paying off. Excellent. Now, before we jump into all things football, as many would note, this week has just passed with uh, International Women's Day, and uh, the Claremont Women's Footy Club have been doing a fair bit behind the scenes, including you were actually um, uh, collecting products for a Perth Women's Refuge. Yeah, yeah. So um, together with uh, South Fremantle Footy Club, um, who we played um, not so two weeks ago, um, we decided to, to um, band together and um, get a bit of a collection going of like hair, beauty and um, body products um, for the Zonta, Zonta House Refuge, which um, raises funds and, and, um, and uh, information, you know, about girls and women going through um, a tough time at home, whether that's being um, physically abused and anything like that, mentally abused. Um, yeah, so we decided to, to round together and um, collect some, some products to help those in need. It's fantastic to see that do do that for the community. And um, do you know how much was collected in the end? Because obviously, if people go to perthnow.com.au, they'll see the uh, fantastic article and you had, uh, from the photos, boxes and bags of stuff. How did the fundraising in the end go? Yeah, really, really well. Um, we found, like, both teams, we had, so, so, so much. Um, a couple of photos were put out, obviously. We had boxes and boxes and boxes full of, um, of products, like um, sanitary products, beauty products. Uh, there was more than what was in the photo as well, which is really cool to see. Um, yeah, but not sure entirely what, what the numbers were, but it, it was really good to see that um, everyone coming together and, and donating a lot, a lot to people in need. Especially so that people are so generous considering uh, everything that we've been through over the last uh, year with the pandemic. And as I've spoken to, obviously, the coaches of uh, the other clubs um, and for yourselves at Claremont, all affected just before the start of this 2021 season when we had the Perth five-day lockdown. For yourself, uh, how did you cope with the, I guess, a little bit of a spanner in the works to the pre-season? Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't think any of us are really expecting it, but um, especially being in WA, we're really lucky um, with with the policies put in place here to keep us all safe. And I think um, I think we all wanted to play so bad that we that we really really understood what was going on and and 
did what we could really to keep everyone safe and to make sure that we were we were going to play in two weeks down the track. And you managed to get underway. Now, you've only had the one loss for the year so far, and that was against one district, who ironically are on top of the table at the moment, and you only lost yeah. to them by a goal. So there must be that pleasing thought at the moment of, okay, there might be that one loss, but, you know, you, you're just about there with the top side at the moment. Yeah, yep. So um, we actually have, like, the first round um, playing Swans, and every season we have a special special little round called Dara Kirk Cup, um, and it, it's, it's a really good rivalry that we have with Swans. We love playing them. Definitely definitely good games to watch, and it always comes out really close. Um, but it is, it's really, it's really nice, to, nice to think that we're, we're right there. Um, we just need to execute our role and our brand of footy a little bit better, and I think, um, think we're in for a very, very good chance next time coming around. And indeed, as it came around to uh, this Saturday night, you had the primetime spotlight when you took on Subiaco. Of course, many would know Subiaco. When we mention their name, it's really the Coastal Titans from many, many years in the uh, old WAWFL uh, competition. Big game against them, and uh, plenty of people stood up on the occasion. First of all, Amy Franklin with three goals for you. Yeah, yep. Um, like I said, oh, yeah, strong, strong rivalry between Subiaco and, and Claremont. Um, yeah, and primetime as well, Saturday night. Who doesn't love playing under light. It was definitely a bit cooler as well um, in the West that night, so it's a bit, bit better conditions to play in. But yeah, Amy Franklin absolutely stood up to the challenge and um, she's an arising, arising player. She's actually in the National Academy um, at the moment and playing some really, really good footy. Um, she actually goes to Adelaide um, to play in the under-19 state championships um, with a couple other players from our team, which is really exciting, really exciting to see. Um, but yeah, she, she absolutely stood out, didn't she? Also named amongst the best players, uh, Sasha Goranova, who, of course, was uh, upgraded to the West Coast list because there was a number of uh, injuries. You mentioned have her services on the weekend against Standout Best on Ground. Yeah, yep. Sasha as well. We call her Russian. Um, she's just a machine, a workhorse, in fact. Um, just contested possessions, is her. that's her forte, and she definitely um, shone, on through on the Saturday night game. Um, she's a really, really consistent player. Actually took home um, Best of Ferris last year um, for just her consistency throughout the year. Um, someone we can always rely on. She's awesome to play with and a very, very funny gal in fact. And, of course, one name that people will know that it was named amongst the best is Kate Orm because not only is she a West Coast footballer, she's also the digital and social media producer of the West Coast <laughs> Eagles. <laughs> yes, she is. It's always um, – that's something that's really cool this year, um, trying to link our season, the Waffle W season, up with the AFLW season. Um, it gives, gives girls like Kate Orm, um, Sophie McDonald, who also played for our team, and um, Caitlin Pope, who's also on the West Coast list, who we played against, she played for Subiaco on the weekend. gives them a chance that if they uh, miss out on a game at West Coast to come back and still still get their skills up and their touch-up in a game um, with the Waffle W. And, and again, Corm bloody legend <laughs> she's a she's one of the people that you can just trust she's going to play a role every, every time and another player named amongst the best um that some of us here in victoria will know about is brooke white of course she played a couple of years at uh, melbourne university over here in the old vwfl uh, she keeps on keeping on she is brooke um yeah whitey is one of our one of our originals at claremont and um definitely shows her her knowledge and her um maturity um, through her skills week in, week out. She, she definitely definitely steps up to the challenge as well. Um, another player that we can just always count on. And it's pretty pretty awesome um, awesome to say that 
a player that has played in the first ever AFLW game is playing on your team, which is, is I think that's that's really amazing. From primetime football, you kicked the dew off the grass come this uh, Saturday morning. You got the early start, 10.40am at Revo Fitness Stadium. You're playing host to the reigning premiers, uh, the very young Pill Thunder. We are, yes. Yeah. So it'll be good to have them at home the first first time around this season. Um, like you said, very, very young team. Uh, but it just shows like the strength and the development of like, the younger younger girls coming up through the ropes. Um, in the, in the Waffle W, um, he'll definitely have a very fast game plan, and they and they love I love 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 to attack the footy and um, score by pressure 100. percent It will be a really good game. Hopefully, a bit cooler in the morning on Saturday. Absolutely, and uh, hopefully no rain like we've been experiencing over here in Victoria and Adelaide <laughs> experienced as well. We're at Barker to Down on Saturday. Um, for yourself as well, um, you're getting plenty of extra miles in the legs. You've had the uh, opportunity to be a train-on player uh, this summer with the West Coast Eagles. Yeah, yeah, I have. It was, it was the best opportunity um, in a row. Uh, started this year, um, myself with a couple others from Claremont and a few others from another club, um, got the opportunity to train at, train and um, actually play as a uh, pre-season match with um, West Coast, which honestly a dream come true. Um, Sasha and I actually sat in the in the West Coast change rooms before the game, and we we're pinching ourselves. Um, like it's yeah, like I said, just a dream come true, and the people that we really idolise um, are playing with us. It's it was an unreal feeling, unreal feeling. Well, Ella, thank you very much for joining us here. Congratulations again on the three-one uh, starts of the season so far. Things looking very bright for Claremont for this twenty twenty-one campaign. Thank you so much for having me, guys. So recapping round four results from the WAFL women's competition, as we mentioned at the top of the program, Claremont 7-4-46, defeated Subiaco 4-2-26. Goal kickers for the Tigers, three to Franklin, singles to Goranova, Garston, Orm and Scanlon. For the Lions, singles to Hunt, Buckley, Devlin and Dalrick. Peel Thunder, 13-6-84, defeated South Fremantle, 7-1-43. For the Thunder, it was three goals each to Bartlett and Malloy, two to Roberts, singles to Wrigley, Hayes, Rowley, McKinley and Briggs. For South Fremantle, two to Reedy and singles to Wackford, Eugle, Templeman, Huggett and Kowald. Swan Districts, 9862 defeated East from Adel, 5-4-34. For Swan Districts, three goals to Morrison, two to Wilstra, and singles to East, Edwards, Edgeley, and Eugle Hayward. For the Sharks, it was three to Evie Gooch, singles to Riley and Rajakovic. Looking ahead to round five football, we've got a game on each day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Friday night football at Fremantle Community Bank Oval, 6.30pm at Souths versus East. Saturday morning, 10.40am at Revo Fitness Stadium, Claremont versus Peel Thunder. And Sunday lunchtime, one o'clock, still Blue Oval, Swan Districts versus Subiaco. Keep an eye on the WAFL social media for information information about the streaming of these games. SANFL Women's Footy Report. They remain undefeated at the top of the table. They are the North Adelaide Roosters, three and zip to start the Sandville women's season. And it's great to have on the line the coach of the Roosters, the reigning premiership coach in Chrissy Steen. Chrissy, how are you? I'm great. Thanks, Peter. All the better for talking to you. I should ask the question, though, have you dried out from Saturday? Very wet conditions in your top-of-the-table clash against West Adelaide. Yeah, it was pretty wet, hey? Uh, yeah, when I got up 
in the morning, I thought, oh my God, it's, it's going to be torrential, but I live out near the coast, so it was raining pretty heavy, and when I got down to the ground, it had eased off a bit, but the ground was soggy, and the, the, you know, obviously the ball weighed a ton, so yeah, that's pretty challenging conditions, I think that, you know, when you play in, that, in those conditions, it totally changes the game. Let's talk about the game and how it started. Um, both sides going in undefeated. For West, going up against your team, the reigning Premiers, no doubt they wanted a fast start. They actually got that. They kicked the first goal of the game about two and a half minutes into the opening quarter, and they had the lead at quarter time. What did you say amongst the group then in, you know, when goals are going to be you know, as rare as hen's teeth in conditions like that? Oh, it wasn't so much what we said. We just changed some things. We, you know, we spent the first quarter having a look at what West were going to do. And so we then uh, changed a couple of things. We knew that they had some players that could be damaging, but we wanted to just play our own game to start off with. And then we'd see if, you know, what influence they had. And, and they did, like they had a big influence. So we had to do something about that. And um, I just told the girls that we weren't playing the way that we want to play. Like, our contest was down and, you know, we weren't moving the ball the way we want to move the ball. Like, you've got to adjust to the wet weather, but, you know, we still have a plan as to how we want to move the ball. And they, you know, we were kind of playing into West's hands a bit. And I, and I think if you, if you play the opposition's football, they're always going to play their football better than you are. So we had to... Um, yeah, I just told them to basically get their act together and uh, make a few changes and uh, the game changed. I mean, that and the fact that Hannah Ewings went in the middle and she just had an incredible influence. I think it was in about six minutes she had five possessions, a goal and two tackles or something. Oh, and, and four inside 50s. <laughs> it's crazy. The kid's crazy. That is absolutely sensational. And one thing I should note, it seemed that the northern end of the ground or left of screen seemed to be the scoring end all day. It's the end that West Adelaide kicked their goal and you kicked two goals in the second and two goals in the final term, both times again going to left of screen. Yeah, there was there was actually quite a strong breeze, uh, but it didn't it didn't show sort of on the camera at all. And um, yeah, but the, the breeze was pretty heavy, and you know, obviously with a wet ball, you're already going to kick short. So um, so yeah, that that did definitely have an influence. Just having a look at the stats throughout the side. Now, a number of things were pretty even. Disposal efficiency was pretty even. Marks, contested marks, uh, pretty even. Uh, as we go through, the only difference is maybe they landed a handful more tackles than you. Um, but the big difference that I noticed was uh, you were willing more to uh, go with the handball. They were more willing to go with a the kick. They led on kicks 136 to 115. You dominated in handballs 84 to 31. Oh, for God's sake, that wasn't part of the plan. That was, uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a photo of me out on social media at the moment and uh, and you can see uh, my face in it. That was when I was addressing the handball. So if you want to look that up, you can see what my thoughts were on them handballing at that point in time. Um, yeah, no, that certainly wasn't part of the plan. Um so I actually have no idea why they were doing that. Um, there were a hell of a lot of short hospital passes and, you know, ha- handballing it all over the place. Uh, I, mean, I mean, West generally, they are, a, you know, like obviously we had a good look at how they move the footy and they are a kicking team. You know, they just want to move the ball quick and contest. And um, so, so they were always going to have less handballs than us, uh, but it certainly wasn't part of the plan. 
Is it almost, as much as you've come away, obviously, with a win, was it almost a pleasant wake-up call in that aspect, feeling that pressure from West to try and remind the group that, yes, we've gone through almost a season and a half undefeated, but the pack is coming and we've got to lift the game to stay ahead? motto for this season is raise the bar. We we know that we have to because because we we now that we we are the hunters. That's what it is. When you set you you know I mean uh, I don't I don't know how to say this without coming across the, the wrong way. I'm not don't mean to sound arrogant, but when you set the bar that high in the style of football that we played, in the way that we played, we won every single Sample award in the league and we went undefeated and won the premiership you you know like to come in the next season you can't you can't actually do better than that so if you're going to judge yourself on um you know on on results and awards and silly little things like that then you're at a risk so for us it was raise the bar and that's raised the bar in themselves, in their effort, in you know, in every single thing that we do, whether it's from our high performance program right through to our medical, everything. We reviewed everything, um, and yeah, I guess you know we we knew that this year was going to be a lot tougher because we lost a lot of players. So raising the bar was also part of it, and and you can see from the competition, a lot of the teams have changed the way that they play. You know, a lot of them are protecting the corridor. Um, a lot of them are doing a double switch out of the back line. Um, you know, they're trying to move the ball a lot quicker than what they did last year. Um, and I think that was part of our part of part of why we were so damaging. We could we could go end to end and score. That we, we were most damaging because of the speed that we could move the ball from one end to the other. And I think that you can see that very clearly in a lot of other teams this year. So. So not only were we the hunted, are we the hunted, but the standard that we set last year is the hunted. So if we do not improve, if we are not better, then um, then we'll fall behind, and we knew that. Um, but going into the game, and, and like I love the fact that we came back, and it was the same with South. That you know South were all over us in the first quarter, and then we had a couple of quarters against Glenelg where they really took it to us, and I think that's really healthy for a team. Is to learn how to learn how to win, learn how to change things, learn how to adapt, and learn how to dig and come from behind. Um, so, so yeah, I was pretty, I was pretty happy about the game. The nice thing about the side this year, obviously you're missing Anne Hatchard at the moment because she's got her AFLW duties, but to have that um, sprinkling of experience through the side, obviously carrying on from last year, Talia Radden uh, had 13 touches on the weekend. You've got uh, the former Carlton VFLW captain in Christy Harvey. She had six uh, rebound 50s on the day. And uh, former AFLW footballer Taylor Thorne also in the side with 10 disposals. Yeah, Taylor Thorne's been a fantastic addition to the team. Um, she's got, you know, she's just a beautiful person and a wonderful, got a wonderful attitude and she's got real X Factor. Like, you know, sometimes you, like you see things that she does and it, it's, I can only put it down, I can honestly only put it down to the X Factor and it's the X Factor that you see very often in Indigenous kids. I think it's one of the most exciting things about having Indigenous kids in your team. And you get that from her, um, along with a massive work rate, and she's just been fantastic to come in. Uh, Talia is, you know, I mean, she's the ultimate club person. And this year, I think she's having an absolutely amazing year of footy. Like, 
well, for the last three games, I should say. But the last three games, she's been pivotal in our back line. And then, of course, Christy Harvey, like, you know, this is the fourth year that, this is the fourth year that she's played um, the system of football that I that I play. So her and I fit together really well. And, um, yeah, I don't know. One day will come where I don't actually have her in my team in in South Australia. Because every, every team I've coached in South Australia, she's been in it. So, it's yeah, it'll be strange the day that I don't have her with me. Maybe she'll be my assistant coach, hey? I do want to pick out the name Poppy Waterford, though. 14 touches on the weekend, including 13 kicks, uh, one clearance, one inside 50, four rebound 50s. Yeah, and Poppy actually played in the back line for half of the game. So she got changed from from the back line to on ball because Hannah Ewings went down. So she, you know, for a girl, she's only played one season of football at local league, and this is her third game at SNFL. Um so yeah, she's uh, Poppy. Poppy's Poppy got a lot of offers from clubs this year to go to go to the Sample Club. So we we're pretty lucky that we got hold of her. Um, and she's she's just got a huge engine and an unbelievable uh, work rate and um, and contested and she's fast and she marks bigger than her height and you know she comes from a soccer background. So we're counteracting the arc, the arc in the in the kick at the moment, but uh, but her kick is definitely developing, and uh, you know I would have put it past Poppy going the whole way, to be honest with you, in, in women's footy. That is a name to watch out for, Poppy Waterford. Something else to watch out for is your clash coming up this Saturday. It will be round four of the Sanford Women's Competition. You are going off to Cooper Stadium to take on the Red Legs. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a beautiful ground. We're really looking forward to that. Uh, to that game and, uh, you know, it'd be nice to have a, a look at the ladies and see where we sit in relation to how they play. Again, they play a little bit differently to everybody that we've played so far. So it'd be good to see whether the girls can adjust uh, slightly, you know, to that and make sure that we still play how we want to play. Indeed. And just looking ahead for um, your fixture for the uh, remainder of the season for North Adelaide, of course, you've got that uh, grand final rematch with uh, South Adelaide coming up in round five. Uh, After that, um, Centrals, Norwood, uh, if I have a look to round uh, eight, you've got the Eagles, round nine, uh, you've got uh, the Bays, and then coming into uh, round 10 to wrap things up, West Adelaide. So how that fixture rounds out, You've got a couple of um, uh, tough games coming up in, in the next few weeks. One or two, to be fair to your opponent, easier games. Looking across the length of the season, uh, are you looking to rest players at some stage to try and get through the depth of your list? Or is it a case of let's just keep putting that stronger side out there on the park to get through all 11 rounds before hitting the finals? Oh, look, I think uh, this year we've got a little bit of a focus on blooding the team as well. So it'll be a combination of resting and also giving other, some of our newer players, um, a bit of an opportunity. And you've got to remember, we'll be getting some AFLW players back in the next sort of three weeks. So we've definitely, um, there'll be scope for resting some people and bringing other people in and things like that. The draw is an interesting one. Um, you know, like for the first, I think it's the first five rounds, we played all of the top 
or we will play all of the top four teams from last year. The top five, the top five teams from last year, we play. That's the only teams we played for the first five rounds. So we knew, you know, the first half of the season is going to be real tough for us. Like there's no, we have no easy games. So, um, so by the time we do get to halfway through the season, round six, um, you know, some of the girls will definitely want a bit of a rest with the, with the style of footy that we're playing this year. Some of them. Some of them will definitely need a rest. That round five is going to be an interesting one to watch, Peter, because all of the teams will be without their best youth talent because the, uh, mm. the, there's a state game on that weekend. So, so yeah, all of us. I think it's also. Yeah. I think it's the week after. The week after as well. So we lose them off two weeks. Yeah, I was about so to. Ask, the, I was yeah. about to ask how does that will how will, how much will that affect your side with the under eighteen talent that you have in there? Considering, as we said, that the national carnival is not too far away coming up in April for the AFL Women's Under 18s National Championships. Of course, that means you'll be losing them from a number of weeks, and I think if I'm right by the calendar, probably getting them back probably around round nine, round ten. No, 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 no. We'll get them back. So they play. I think we lose them in total for three weekends mm-hmm. in total. So they, and it's not in a row. So you lose them for two in a row. So it's round five, round six. And then I believe they come back and then we might lose them in round eight or nine, something like that. But just, just for one weekend because they, they have a midweek game that week. That, that's, that's my understanding. But I could be, I could be mistaken at the moment. Um, so yeah, it, it'll, it'll, it'll definitely affect us. I mean, Four of, the, four of our under-18s play every week and three of them are premiership players. So it's huge for us uh, and it's also huge for South Adelaide. I mean, they, they'll lose Gypsy Shermer and Georgia Hooper and, you know, like it's a, it's a big whack for them too. So but it'll be, uh, it'll be a, a, you know, a battle of the, of the veteran players, I think, between the two, between the two of us. But then again, at the same time, I guess that opportunity to speak to those community footballers that are coming up through your side to point out to them, well, for them, this is their opportunity, their chance with some players gone to step up and try and claim a permanent spot on the side. Yeah, that's right. You know, like that's what I say to them whenever they've got a chance for a game. Don't think of this as the one and only game. This is your, this is your opportunity to knock someone out. Not, not physically, but <laughs> but to not, you know knock someone off their perch and take their spot. And as much as you galvanise a team and get them to you know look out for one another and work together, at the same at the same time, their teammates are also their opposition in a way because it's it, that's who they're competing against to get a chance to play. Well, Chrissy, thank you very much again for joining us. Congratulations on the 3-0 zip start to the 2021 campaign and all the very best throughout the remainder of the year as you try to defend your Sanford Women's Premiership title. Thanks, Peter. I'll talk to you soon, hopefully. So let's take a look back at round three results on the SANFLW competition. And as we mentioned, North Adelaide 4-4-28, defeating West Adelaide 1-3-9. The highest disposal getter for the Roosters was Lee Tynan with 16 touches. On the opposite side for West Adelaide, their only goal kicker, Gretel Ramsey, and most touches was with Sharni Whiting with a 21. Central District 4-8-32 went down in a thriller to South Adelaide 5-7-36. 
27. Coming out of that game, Jess Kirk, two goals, three for the uh, Panthers. Sophia Flanagan-Soberg with 17 touches. For the Bulldogs, uh, Madison Lane had 18 touches and took six marks. Norwood, 3-2-20, defeated Sturt in a thriller, 2-6-18. Disposals out of that game for uh, the Red Legs. Morgan Johnston with 16 touches and seven marks. While for the Double Blues, 20 touches for Alicia Gep. And the Eagles, 2-3-15, went, uh, pardon me, defeated the Bays, 1-6-12. Three-point win there to Woodville West Torrens. They'll be happy with that result. Uh, disposal getters, uh, Shania Goody for the Eagles with 16 touches. Uh, Renee Fourth, AFLW-listed football with the Crows, took three marks in that game, worthy of note. Um, also with the disposals over at Glenelg, 15 touches for Jessica Bates, and she also backed up with two marks as well and laid 12 tackles. But again, it would be the Eagles that would come away with the victory. Looking ahead to round four football, and it's a doubleheader at High Sense Stadium on Friday night. The early game is Woodville West Torrens versus the Central District Bulldogs, and we wrap up the night with West Adelaide versus Glenelg. Standalone game at Cooper's Stadium around lunchtime on Saturday. It's Norwood versus North Adelaide. And then Saturday night, Twilight Football at Flinders University Stadium, where it's the Panthers versus the Double Blues. Don't forget you can watch all the games via the Sanford website. That's sanfl.com.au simply by purchasing a digital pass. QAFL Women's Footy Report. Another round has gone past in Queensland Australian Football League Women's Competition and the Development League as well. In the Development League, Cooper Roo at the moment chugging along nicely at three and zip their first. Currently uh, one and two. Both of them have got big games coming up against UQ this weekend. And one woman who's in a very celebratory mood, not only because the development side is three and zip, but she has just marked her 100th game for Cooper Roo is Emma Gibson. Emma, how are you? Hey, good. Thanks, Peter. How are you going? Not too bad at all. Great to have you on the line. And first of all, let me just throw that number again at you. 100 games. What does it mean to you to finally hit that mark? Oh, man, it's it's amazing. It's It's been, what, six, six and a half years to get here, but I did it and oh, it feels amazing, especially with the support around me. Yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> Let's go back several years because you were part of the original foundation of Cooperoo women's team back in 2013. Do you yeah. still have memories of that first training session or that first time discovering the club? Yeah, yeah. So it was about, um, it was a handful of us girls, including um, Emma Zilke and Cleo Davis and that, and just wanted to kickstart a, a football football team down there. So we all got together and grabbed as many girls as we kind of could and got some footies and kicked them around and it was just all a bit of fun um and yeah here we are today it's it really really took off from that first season and yeah just started off with a lot of fun and and yeah progressed into something quite quite big which is which is awesome for Cooper. what were your personal expectations going into play your first season of senior women's aussie rules um I didn't have much, like, my expectations weren't too too high. I came off um, a soccer background, actually, and I just needed a bit of a change in scenery, and these girls were um, good mates and stuff. So, yeah, it was good just to put some footy boots on and learn a different sport and learn some different skills and build a bit of a culture that I hadn't really been a part of ever before. So, yeah. 
We talk about successful community clubs throughout Australia. I mean, most obviously famously because uh, the media is very Victorian-centric, talk about the Darabin Falcons, but there are some more interesting stories out in WA. The Coastal Titans, uh, since their formation, went and played in 13 grand finals in a row. For Cooper Roo, since your foundation, you won three flags in a row. What do you think it is, that culture, whatever it, that X factor is behind the scenes that saw it work so well so early? Um, well, touching back on the culture thing, we um, there was a lot of, I guess, maybe inexperienced girls, inc- including myself, in regards to footy, but we all became really good mates um, on and off the field and I guess at the end of the day, when you have that when you have that culture between a good group of people, you can you can kind of conquer anything really, and that's just kind of where it started from. Is the culture we started on, and we built that, and and that's where yeah we just grew from that really. You come into a very interesting period when you started at Cooper Roo because the year that you started was the first year of the AFL Women's Exhibition Match Series. What's it like playing not only in a club that's developing? But at the same time, in the background, this AFLW league that would eventually start in 2017, that momentum is starting to build. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, it was great. It was It's sort of also for a lot of the junior girls or the girls that have been kind of playing for their whole life and like mixed, mixed teams and stuff that they've actually now have that pathway. And I know a lot of the girls that I started with or, um, always sort of aspired to play at that level and being able to like grow that grow that pathway for them and the um younger generation to come through it's it's quite massive and feels very special to be a part of I guess you you pose an interesting um thought for players particularly around your age as well where when you had the early years of the QAFLW or QWAFL as it was known then, um, most clubs would have one side. Some would even struggle to get the numbers to get that one side up. Now you have obviously reserves and many have juniors as well. As the years go by and now you have AFLW players that are not listed that will drop back and play on the side. We're seeing the great talent from youth girls come up. When does it come to a point where obviously for someone like yourself, you've got to make that decision where physically might be able to play the ones or do you go look maybe it's time to just play in the twos enjoy football there and let those that are trying to push to the next level now go above you into the ones yeah it's it's a bit of a hard decision um but it's also great because you know that you're not um you're sort of opening up another opportunity for someone that might want it not necessarily more than you but have that momentum behind them um that's kicking them through um but yeah it's it was a hard decision and um i know at like a skill or knowledge level it'd be good to play at that level now but coming down to match fitness and stuff it was it was just sort of i just sat down with myself and thought like where am i at and what what can i do and yeah I i think it's more of just thinking about the other girls that are involved and and their priorities and your priorities and what's going on outside of footy for you that that may um, cause an impact on decision making. But yeah, I guess for me it was a lot of that's a lot of younger girls, fitter girls, um, girls with a lot more room to develop, and it was it was just time. You just kind of you just kind of know, I guess. Can you also explain within that as well, which would obviously be a factor for another an, an, another number of footballers. 
from when you began in 2013 to now, the time commitment that's needed for training, particularly, again, for those that are trying to get to the first level and how that's increased and I guess that increasing demand that if you want to go up compared to what was 2013 about the amount of time you've got to pour into your football. Yeah, yeah. So in I guess back then it was you just sort of rock up to training, put your footy boots, have a kick and go home and get up for work. But nowadays it's it's developed in your fitness side and your nutrition and your recovery and looking after your body for, for the next round and stuff. And that can take a lot of time out of your life. And if you, I don't know, some, some people have families now and um, certain jobs that they're passionate about. And it's, it's putting in those extra hours for, for gym and for recovery after games. And I guess also missing a lot of uh, social events with friends or, um, and yeah, it's just sort of missing out on, not miss, not missing out, that's the wrong word, but prioritising, I guess, what's important to you now. And I guess back then, it, you didn't really have to give up too much because it was all about just, you rock up, play footy and leave. But now it's all about um, developing your body and looking after and recovery. And, and that can that can take a lot of time out of your week. And, and yeah, but it, as I said before, it comes down to what you um, prioritise now. And, and yeah. How about for yourself from a leadership point of view? You're a rock there in defence in the development side for Cooperoo. Um, playing at a level where you've got a mixture. Again, you may have some under-18s and youth girls coming through before they obviously go up to ones. Plus, you've also got a mix of those that are just beginning to play the game. So their skill level isn't quite you know up to your standard yet. Having them in your defence and obviously as that uh, veteran trying to hold the structures and trying to uh, teach as well as play while you're out there on the field. Yeah, it's actually it's actually quite fun. Um, I really enjoy it because you see these girls that are coming through and and they're eager to learn and they're eager to get their head over the footy and stuff. And it's it's really cool to see that um, during a game and stuff. It's it can be quite um, it's. It's, it's, yeah, it's quite good because you're able to pinpoint what they're doing and, and how to help them um, do something differently or congratulate them on um, doing what they're doing good. And I don't know, I, from a leadership kind of point of view, it's, it's, quite, it's quite exciting to see these girls like eager to learn and um, really taking in information. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day for me, that's... That's the most important thing, and they're having fun while they're doing it. And again, that's another very important thing. So, I uh, yeah, I, I I really I really enjoy playing with all different um, skill types and different different ages. And because at the end of the day, we all come together. And on the field, it's we're all just one, and we all get our heads over the footy. Um, whether we come out with the footy or not, we're still doing it. And and yeah, that to me, that's the most important thing. For the development side, off to a great start for the year, three and zip. You're taking on another three and zip side, uh, UQ Red Lions, this weekend. Uh, for the first, uh, a tougher start to the year, a loss to Apsley, which uh, a side that's uh, uh, pretty much surprised everyone straight out of the blocks. Yeah. Close loss against uh, Bond University, but they managed to get over the line against Maruchidor in a thriller by one point in the weekend. What's the vibe been around the club at the moment, particularly, again, coming off that weekend where you've played your 100th game and the first of scraped through in a thriller? Yeah, yeah, it was um, quite exciting, actually. In regards to that game of the Quaffle game where they won by one point, it was 
a major throwback for me for the 2013 um, grand final win against Yoronga because um, they were down at three-quarter time. They were on their way up and that last quarter, it just sort of, they just overtook them and it's exactly what we did in the grand final and we, we ended up winning by one or two points, I'm pretty sure, and and that's exactly what happened. So that was a major throwback and the excitement and that feeling just came rushing back and with the um, celebrations of the 100 game, it was just... It was just all a bit overwhelming, if I'm honest. But around the club, it was such a good vibe. Everyone was, everyone was excited and up on their feet, and yeah, just really having a good time. So hopefully, we can bring that into next week and see how we go against UQ. Yes, big clashes for both the first and seconds against the UQ Red Lions. And let me uh, round off by finishing again by saying congratulations on your 100 games. And what does it mean to you personally to be part? of the Cooperoo Football Club? Oh, it's it's amazing. It's especially after, what was it, about six and a half years now. It's 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 quite, it's yeah, it's quite something special. You meet a lot of the girls along the way and at the moment you're meeting a lot of the younger girls and it's, it's good to sort of be, I guess, maybe a bit of a role model to them to know where they can get to and aspire to, play 100 if not more to 200 and even further play for the AFLW and it's just really good being a bit of a support support system now and and yeah it's great seeing how far that the club's come along now to how many teams and girls we've got playing so yeah it's quite special to be a part of. Emma thank you very much for joining us congratulations again on 100 games congratulations on the victory on the weekend and all the very best against the UQ Red Lions. Thank you very much. So good chatting with you, Peter. Taking a look back at results from round three of the QAFLW, the Apsley Hornets 7-10-52 defeat the Wilston Grange Gorillas 3-3-21. For the Hornets, goal kickers, two to Liddell. Uh, singles to Daniak, Mason, Kawa, Jarrett and Lanigan. Uh, best players included um, Taylor Pringle, Mason and Jasmine Pringle. For Wilston Grange, singles to McMullen, Matthews, O'Flaherty and Wheeler. Bests were Welsh, Day and Finlay. To the next game, UQ Red Lions 10-2-62 defeated Yoronga South Brisbane 5-6-36. For the Red Lions, Benjamin kicked four, two to Vetter, singles to Dawson, O'Brien and Cook. Uh, Tebula, Henning and Hunt were named amongst their best. For the Devils, single goal kickers, Edwards, Farquharson, Goodwin and Keith named amongst the best, Zanchetta, Farquharson and Goodwin. And to the final game of round three, Cooperoo 5-2-32, defeating Maroochydore in a thriller 4-7-31. For the Cooperoo Kings, goal kickers, two to Bowden, singles to Abbey Fairs, uh, Renner and McLean. Best on ground were McLaughlin, Grace and Bowden. And for Maroochydore, goals to Carden David, Jupy. Parkinson and Gregory. Bests were Bauman, Jupy and Maloney. We should point out there was no game played between Coolangatta Tweed and Bond University as all grounds in the Gold Coast City Council area were closed due to heavy rain on the Friday. That game has been postponed until the 17th of April. So let's have a look ahead to round four football. We have got three games on the Saturday, one on the Sunday. Saturday, 2pm at Graham Road. It's the Apsley Hornets versus Yoronga South Brisbane Devils. 3.45pm at Maroochydore Multisports Complex. The Roos play host to Coolangatta Tweed. And at 3.45pm at the University of Queensland. The Red Lions play host to Cooper Roo. The Sunday game at Hickey Park. 2pm in the afternoon is Wilston Grange versus Bond University. 
And that concludes the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast for yet another week. This podcast is available on most podcast platforms. you just got to Google Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast, or you can go to our website, wafradio.com, or follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, just put a slash at the end, and WARF Radio. And don't forget, on WARFradio.com, we have got three VFL women's matches for you this weekend. On Saturday, we bring you the Western Bulldogs versus Williamstown from VU Witten Oval, and courtesy of GoFooty.live, the Geelong versus Port Melbourne match from Deakin University, Warren Ponds. And on Sunday morning, we bring you Carlton versus North Melbourne from Icon Park. Again, for the times and the stream, Go to WARFradio.com for live VFL women's footy action this weekend. I'm Peter Holden. Until next week, thanks again for listening, and it's bye for now.